Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, kids. Uh, welcome to the old program. Uh, glad you could be with us. It's a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you picked the right program, that's for sure. Peter Marr, our NHL insider, will be here, our Flames insider. As well, uh, Vicki Hall will join us, too. Uh, she of the CFL Hall of Fame, or soon to be of the CFL Hall of Fame. Lots to talk about with Vicki, lots to talk about with Peter. Uh, first of all, welcome. How the heck are you? I forgot to do this last time. I better throw it on there as well because we are an all-inclusive podcast. Everybody is welcome here. We are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. Um, what else do you need to know? Well, I'm glad you're here. I, I hope I hope this doesn't take you away from other plans or important things, or maybe you're just listening in the background, which is absolutely the way you should go about this. Um, appreciate it. Um, it's kind of a weird show on, I wouldn't say weird show, fun show, I think, on Monday with uh, Cammy. Got into uh, a lot about Craig Conroy and some other things. Um, mentioned that the Calgary, so we were talking about the Calgary surge, and I am working for the surge, so we'll, we'll throw that out there. Everybody needs to know that so that you're making educated choices when you choose to believe what you believe from me. If you choose to believe nothing, that's all right, too. Uh, but the surge winning again last night, 85-82. Um, second home game, uh, the target score was 84. At one point, Niagara was up 82 to 77 or 76 something like that and uh the uh the surge were able to hold them off and uh, ended up getting a point up on them a couple of free throws missed both but got the rebounds and scored and won and um i gotta tell you i was uh hanging out in the lobby when people were leaving and it was just so much fun it felt like a playoff game uh it was uh just exciting to watch people get excited and get loud about sports so uh, the next game for the surge is, uh, I think, uh, a week from Friday. Uh, they'll be back at home. So if you haven't checked it out, let me give a, a plug to them uh, and certainly be paying attention to the things we're doing in the community because we are going to help grow the game of basketball in Calgary. And I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, the big news, uh, dare I say, in the hockey world, and it has uh, reverberations and ramifications in our neck of the woods, and that is uh, ex-general manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Treliving, who essentially um, walked away from the team at the end of the year, said enough is enough for moi. Um, some speculated that it had to do with the coaching. Some speculated it had to do with he was just burnt out. Um, who knows? 
but today he finds himself now as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm ecstatic for Brad. Um, again, I've got to give you all these full disclosures. You need to know who you're hearing this information from. And and Brad's a friend of mine, and I, I have a lot of time for Brad True Living. Um, he, he's taught me a lot. He's really, really helped me a lot with uh, projects in the community, especially around leadership. Um, I thought during his time here, he did uh, some pretty cool things. I think he was put in some difficult positions. Um, did he make some mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, but I think he learned from those mistakes. Uh, but you won't find a harder worker. You won't find a more a respected person in hockey, I don't think. And I think the Toronto Maple Leafs and their fans are now about to have a little bit of a curveball thrown at him because he's a little bit more dynamic than Kyle Dubas publicly and, and maybe some of the other recent GMs. Um, I don't think he'll be as combative as Brian Burke, but um, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch in Toronto. A lot of pressure on that team. Uh, obviously, uh, they have their own set of decisions to make. Will they free up cap room by moving one of their quote-unquote big four? Um, and I'm sure when we get into it with our first guest, we'll try to drill right down and find out when the first blockbuster Calgary-Toronto trade will be made. Because I believe there's a little history there. I believe there might be a little history. So without further ado, uh, brought to you by Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Currently just the one location open for the summer. The other three will come back in the fall. But if you, you want to check them out, please do. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Uh, all of your warm weather needs or cold weather needs in this warm weather is what I meant to say. And if you want to start spying the new technology for next fall, maybe what you want to get, maybe you want to save your shekels this summer so that you can get the latest snowboard skis, or maybe you can save some shekels this summer by getting your next uh, snowboard or skis. Check them out. Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, the great one. Peter Marr, uh, nobody more excited that uh, Rod Phillips, uh, Rod Phillips, Rod Stewart will be in town. <laughs> I, I I have no idea of the plans of the former voice of the Edmonton Oilers, Rod Phillips, but I do know that Rod Stewart is coming to town and nobody more excited than our next guest, Peter Marr. I buggered that one up, didn't I? Indeed so. That's going to be a real big night on August the 17th in the Scotiabank Saddledome. Looking forward to it. I think it'll be the 18th concert I've seen Rod in. I was just going to ask you how many, how many have, and you've seen them all in Calgary, right? Like you've seen, since you've come to Calgary, you haven't missed a Rod Stewart show in Calgary? No, there, there were a couple in Calgary I missed because it was on the road with the Flames at the time those concerts uh, were held. But gotcha. uh, other than that, all the ones that uh, he had here I saw. And I believe this is going to be his uh, 15th appearance in the Saddle Dome. And uh, no other performer has uh, had more concerts in the Saddle Dome than Rod Stewart. And um, the very first time I saw him was the very first time he was here, which was back in 1983, I believe, or 84, uh, when the Saddle Dome, soon after the Saddle Dome had opened. And that's when I became a big Rod Stewart fan. My uh, son, Jeff, and my daughter, Haley, uh, Trisha, uh, took me to the, got tickets for uh, Nancy and I to go to the uh, concert. We went, and that's when I became a Rod Stewart fan. And other times I've seen him on the road just a couple of times just by chance. The Flames right. happened to be in the city the night before a, a game, and he had a concert. One of them was in Montreal. Another one was in uh, Carolina. So, um, so sometimes it was the luck of the draw. Other times there was some good planning made to get there. <laughs> do, Pete, do we know what this tour, do we know what catalog he's working out of for this tour? 
what, what, uh, what she's working at a what again, Rod? Sorry. Which catalog oh. of songs? Which uh, do we know what he's singing on this tour? Only the hits. Oh, just hits, eh? Just Only the hits. just the hits. Yep, just the All hits. Right. So, All right. I'm looking forward to that. Not like you're counting down the days or anything. Uh, no, 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 but I've got it marked on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, we. We haven't talked. You know, he, was, to he was in Prince Edward Island. Uh, oh, I don't know, maybe five or six, seven, eight years ago, and uh, he was an outdoor show there. And I had some friends of mine, being from the Maritimes, wondering if I was going to go to that concert. And I decided, no, I'm not going to. I'd already made my trip down the east that year. Yeah. And as it turned out, it was raining that day, so I was glad I wasn't there. Because <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been protected from all the rain. But anyway, yeah. that, that's a little satellite. So it would have been twenty times yeah, if I'd have yeah. gone there then. Well, uh, who who knows how many? We don't know how many it's going to end up yet, Pete, because neither right. of you yep. guys are done. Yep. <laughs> uh, boy, it's been a while, almost a month since you and I have talked on this program. We uh, we turned you over to the uh, careful hands of Danny Austin a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and Tammy Tempty as well was on that that's day. That's right. That's right. So you were and taking she brought up the Maritimes that day. So that's how I got referred to on that particular occasion. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot has transpired, um, but let's let's stick with the two general managers, and we'll go chronologically, I suppose, and start with and go backwards. Let's start with today. Um, and you heard me talk about it off the top. Brad Treliving, the new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and um, I, I, he's a friend of mine. I really like Brad. I think it's a daunting task whenever you take over that team. Uh, what do you make of the news today? I think it's great for Brad. I mean, I think he did a, you know, he did a really good job here uh, considering some of the circumstances that he, that he had to deal with. And, and now that he's uh, landed on his feet and back in the general manager's chair in Toronto, uh, it's outstanding. I, I don't know uh, Brad nearly as well as you. I've got to know him, uh, Rod, but uh, when I did see him uh, be around him, he was always, uh, he was always engaging, always uh, helpful. If I needed anything, just ask him and, uh, he would uh, make it work, and if I needed anything and that type of thing. So, and looking at the work that he did, I thought he did a very good job in his nine years that he was uh, mm. GM of this uh, Flame hockey team. And um, you know, it, it was really interesting. There was some speculation of him going to Toronto way back in yeah. December, January, which was yeah. you know really interesting because at that time Kyle Dubas was still uh, looked like firmly in the chair in Toronto, and Brad firmly in the chair with the Flames, but. Things do change sometimes in a hurry, and in this particular case, uh, Kyle Dubas is out in Toronto, and uh, uh, Brad is out in Calgary, but now he's in in Toronto. So uh, I think he's going to do a wonderful job, and I think one of the key reasons that he got the job was uh, his his work ethic and uh, some of his the history that he's had uh, in uh, Arizona and in Calgary and Arizona, where his assistant uh, general manager, and also I think the fact that he's worked in a Canadian market. Uh, was a big plus uh, getting uh, Toronto because he he knows at least somewhat what it's like working in a, a Canadian market. Although I think he'll find Toronto's market a little bit tougher uh, from a <laughs> public standpoint than he experienced here in Calgary. But I'm sure that he'll he'll uh, get through that all right without any uh, without any real major problems. He's that type of person. He, there's a couple of things about him that intrigue me with this particular job, and and one is that. They're not unlike Calgary in the sense that they have some decisions to make and some contracts, not necessarily on the front burner, but we know now that the front burner has been moved up quite, you know, by a year. You can't really wait on things. Pete, he's a little bit of a, would you call him, you know, the old school t term was riverboat gambler. 
And and I know yeah. the Flames tend to be risk adverse. They don't like to take a lot of risks, but Brad would take risks, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. And so it's going to be real interesting. And I think the very first case he has to deal with is with Matthews. Uh, yeah. You know, his contract, uh, you know, he can sign a new contract by uh, July 1. And if he if he decides that uh, he doesn't want to sign a contract there, they've got to move him. And they've mm. got to move him, you know, fairly quick and get a great return for him. So that, to me, is the number one decision. Well, I guess the number one decision really he has to make is uh, he's going to make a coaching change uh, with uh, with the Maple Leafs. Uh, that, that situation's been up in the air ever since Kyle Dubas left. In fact, was up in the air even before uh, he left. So I think that's the first decision he'll have to make. And I think he has to do that relatively quick because then he has to turn his attention to uh, Austin Matthews and uh, see if he can get him signed to a contract extension. That'll make him a leaf for a long, long time. Otherwise, yeah. he, could, uh, uh, he has to move him. Otherwise, he'll lose him and get nothing for him. And as you mentioned, they've got those top four guys, mm-hmm. all very solid uh, hockey players, but it eats up about half of their payroll. And uh, so if he's going to give Matthews a raise, it's not going to be into effect for the upcoming season, but it's going to come up uh, into effect for future seasons down the road. So, yeah, that's a, that's a real major hurdle that he's uh, going to have to uh, deal with right away with the agent for uh, Matthews and sit down and have a chat with him as well. Isn't it interesting in a way, Peter, that, that it's going to be kind of intriguing to watch Brad and, and the decisions that he makes just on the coach in Matthews. He inherited Bob Hartley. He kept Bob Hartley right now. Eventually he moved on, but he, you know, he could have taken that opportunity and moved on from Bob Hartley when he took over, but he didn't. And, and he's got that same decision to make now. I wonder how that might influence or if it influences. And the, and the other one is, is just a year ago is Johnny Gaudreau walking away. You know, a lot of people are, you know, very, I suppose, critical of that decision. I think we all know why it happened. The, the intent, the heart was there, but this is a business. I, I wonder how cold and calculated he will be with Matthews. And certainly he's going to have a different approach to it than uh, having gone through that experience last year with Johnny Gaudreau. And he was pretty well shocked uh, the night before uh, that he uh, wouldn't sign on with the Flames and decided he was going to become a free agent. And I think he was shocked by that because he was pretty certain that um, Johnny was going to resign here with the Flames. In fact, you know, which we'll get to shortly when Craig Conroy uh, made his, was made uh, announced as general manager of the of the Flames. One of the first things he said is, "We're not going to experience another Johnny Gaudreau uh, situation uh, as we did here last year." So, and that, of course, is going to be firmly on the mind of uh, Brad as he uh, you know goes about his business now in in Toronto. And the you know, and the other thing is, I'm sure that Matthews is going to know who's going to be coach of the team. That's going to be all part and parcel mm-hmm. of uh, trying to sit down and get him to negotiate a contract extension. Uh, so these are decisions that can't wait for uh, forever to be handled. So he's going to keep the same coach. Then, well, that's fine. You go ahead with that. And uh, but if you're thinking of bringing somebody else, then you're pretty much going to have to tell Matthews who that guy is before he can make a decision because I'm sure that is going to be something that will weigh on his uh, his decision as to whether to stay in Toronto or consider moving on to another location. You know, many people say that since he's from Arizona that he'll end up going there, but I'm sure he wants to win a Stanley Cup and the chances of Arizona winning a Stanley Cup in the near future are pretty much null and void. And in fact, it may be null and void period because they could be moving away from uh, the Phoenix, Arizona area in the near future. So, uh, um, but there's lots of other teams that I'm sure will have an interest in Matthews if he becomes available. Well, and, and let's be perfectly honest. A lot of people speculated that Johnny Gaudreau would end up with the New Jersey Devils or the Philadelphia Flyers because that's where he was from. But 
as we know, yeah, that right, didn't exactly. happen. So yeah. Sometimes those lines don't get drawn quite as straight as we think they do. Well, the situation, though, in Philadelphia was they didn't have any room under the cap to sign them. Nope. But then the second alternative would have been New Jersey. Uh, yep. But they, they had the money, and it didn't appear as though they made a, a very much of an effort to get them either. So, yep. so you just never know about these things. You're right. Yeah. Pete, you know, we talked about this six weeks ago when Brad walked away and, and he did, he, you know, he was offered a contract extension. He didn't take it. You mentioned it's kind of the first time that's ever happened, you know, with the flames, how different. And I, I know it's, it's been a while since you worked there, but you've still got ties there. How different is working for MLSE as opposed to working for CSEC? Do you think, do you think that Brad's going to notice a difference? Well, if you're reading some of the comments that Kyle Dubas made and and um, and they're reading a bit in between the uh, lines on that when, he, you know, he was uh, in that GM position, there seemed to be he wanted the structure change there, that there were too many there were too many scenarios you had to go through in order for a decision to be made. And, um, you know, when you, you look back at that, you, you know, whether I'm sure Brad saw those comments or heard those comments mm -hmm. and uh, brought those up with um with uh, Shanahan when he was talking to him about the uh, job, but apparently the way things kind of go is that uh, the GM comes up with, you know, a decision to make a trade or sign or whatever, and it has to go through Shanahan. Shanahan has to take it to the, the owners and there's two owner, two different separate three, actually basically three separate groups there. There's uh, Rogers owns part of that. Bell owns part of that. And then there's another group that has another small share in it. And apparently all of that has to be approved by these people or some of these things can uh, become uh, become uh, law, if you will. And uh, I know Dubas seemed to indicate he didn't like that. And that was one of the things he wanted to change if he was going to stay there. So uh, I'm sure that was addressed in the uh, meetings that, uh, that Brad Treeliving had with uh, Shanahan. But whether or not any of that gets changed, I don't know. When you look at uh, C-Shock, I'm sure that there are no major decisions that are made uh, within the flames that are not uh, have to go through ownership of the team. Sure. I mean, I'm sure last year, uh, last year when Daryl Sutter had his two year contract extension that ultimately he won't work now, but he'll get paid. Uh, I'm sure that had to be approved by Murray Edwards, the, uh, the premier owner of, of the flames. And I'm sure that any other major deals have to go through him as well. And the other owners on, on the team. Uh, it's interesting. It goes back to a couple of years ago when Brad was GM at the, at the trade deadline. There was a, I don't know how factual it was because I wasn't there, but I did hear about it that there was a trade in the works with uh, Minnesota, I believe, yep. for Jason Zucker yep. coming to the Flames. And, uh, and Brad couldn't get a hold of Murray Edward to approve of that trade before the trade deadline, so the trade didn't go through. So I'm sure he had that experience right there where his hands were tied on a deal that he wanted to make and he would take that into consideration when he's talking with, uh, with the Maple Leafs. So, uh, you know, you, when you're spending the kind of money you spend on contracts for hockey players and coaches and that in this day and age in the NHL, mm -hmm. you pretty much have to go through ownership to get their approval on these things. And these owners are involved in a whole lot of other business aspects because they've got a lot of money. And the reason they have a lot of money is because they work hard and they mm -hmm. make good deals. So sometimes yeah. they are not able to find within a, you know, within a, in a couple of seconds when you need an answer. So, Yep. Uh, that will be interesting to see how that unfolds as time goes on in Toronto. That trade, by the way, or that proposed trade was uh, uh, Mike Russo from the athletic wrote about it here this past year. So that, that one kind of yep. came to light one last one, Pete, and then we, we got to move to the locals because again, big story there too, but I, it's easy to hate on the Maple Leafs being a Western Canadian. It's easy to get mad at, 
you know, the coverage on, you know, Sportsnet and TSN and, and everything. And I, I, I get that. And I'm not trying to curry anybody's favor or change anybody's mind. But you said it before, Pete, like Brad saw what was going on with Kyle Dubas. He, he knows what a hotbed market it is. What's the attraction for a hockey person to take a job there? What, why bother? Why, why be part of this monstrous organism that seems so difficult to tame? What, what's the allure of, of leading that team? Well, to me, Rob, the thing is the challenge of it. And if you end up having success with that challenge, you're going to be a hero in Toronto forever. Yeah. Now, the Maple Leafs haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. Right. And so if you can go in there as a general manager or as a coach and uh, get that team to perform to a point where they go the full route and win a Stanley Cup, I mean, you can live in Toronto and uh, never have to buy a meal again. It's that kind of situation. I mean, it's a situation in Calgary is similar, but not as, as widespread as Toronto. I mean, it's, it's massive there. Uh, how, how, what kind of appreciation you can get if you have a championship team like the Raptors and the Blue Jays when they yeah. were winning going back a few decades but and then the Raptors of course a few years ago I mean those uh, guys are all still being cherished and uh, bowed upon in, in Toronto mm-hmm. so and those teams are not the big team in Toronto the Maple Leafs have always been Toronto's biggest team and, um, and uh, they've gone so long without winning you can just imagine what kind of an explosion it would be if they won the cup. I mean, my granddaughter lives in Toronto, and the night they won that first-round playoff series this year, she was at home, and she could hear the horns honking out in the street all night as yeah. the people were celebrating one series win. So you can imagine if you win a Stanley Cup, and if you're the general manager of that team, say Bradley Tree Living, then, you know, there's great appreciation for that. And uh, and I think that's the challenge of being a, a general manager, a coach, or even a player in, in Toronto. The other side of that is, when you don't have success, then uh, they come on, on you very, very hard. I think even more so in Toronto than they would here in uh, in, in Calgary because they're just massive with the media attention you get there when you're winning or losing. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's that whole idea of if you can do it, they'll build monuments to you. You know, but look at look at Doug Gilmore. He played yeah. here for the Flames. He scored two goals the night the Flames won the Stanley Cup, uh, and the, the game-winning goal included in that. And, uh, you know, he was a big star here. He goes to Toronto and he becomes four times the star that he was in, in Calgary. So, uh, yep. you know, yep. that's just an example of a player, what the difference can make, yep. which is yep. something we can touch on it a little bit here because <laughs> it's not the first time that a flame general manager has gone from uh, here to Toronto. No. <laughs> and that, that name Gilmore actually is, is kind of part of that too. Um, yeah. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't jump in because you and I have not had a chance to speak. Um, I, I go all the way back to when his playing career was winding down. Um, it just, it always felt like it was a fait accompli that Craig Conroy would go from playing to the broadcast booth and he'd be the greatest. He'd be the, you know, the, the Shaquille O'Neal or the Charles Barkley of hockey. He was just, you know, that was the destiny that we all had preordained for Craig Conroy, but he chose to go a different path, Pete. And, you know, he was named the general manager of the Calgary flames last week. Um, somebody joked to me that he found out on the Friday before the long weekend, and it must've been the most excruciating three days of his life. Cause he couldn't tell anybody, um, but I'm so happy for him. He, we know him really well. We got to know him as a player and as a, as a manager, it was the right pick all along, but just a thought on, on Craig getting that, that job. 
Well, you know, I, I, I think the Flames did the right thing by talking to a whole lot of people with regard to that job, both mm-hmm. internally and externally. As I mentioned, when we were on a, about a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago, I yep. mentioned it was very important for them to talk to as many people outside of the organization and get their feel on, on the Flames uh, before they make a final decision. And they went through all of that to pace uh, Don Maloney, along with uh, John Bean, the president and CEO of the Flames, going through that. And the fact that in the end they determined that Craig Conroy was the man for that job uh, tells you that they are the basically they are the only two people that could have known what kind of work uh, Craig Conroy was doing. We all know about his characteristics being so outstanding, a great personable guy, good PR guy, a hardworking guy. But only the people behind the scenes know what an assistant general manager uh, has been doing, and. Uh, Maloney and uh, and uh, Bean obviously saw a lot of that. They saw a lot of that with uh, with Craig and felt he was the guy for the job. So um, and that tells you how much work he has done behind the scenes. Because the when there's a trade, when there's a, a free agent signing, when there's a, a drafting, the guy that's in the forefront is the general manager. There's a lot of work being done underneath the general manager in the, in the front office. But the people that are involved there don't get any public notice for that. It only is an internal thing. So uh, that tells me that uh, those people felt Craig was the guy for the job. And I felt all along that he was the guy for the job without knowing, you know, exactly the inner workings that he had provided for them in the, the nine years he was in that uh, that chair. I'll never forget he had retired as a player after playing uh, playing a thousand games. And after his first game, and then, of course, he was hired on as in as mm-hmm. management with the uh, Flames by uh, by the late Ken King. And uh, I never forget talking to him after the first game that he went to uh, while he was in the managerial position with the Flames. He said he got in, talked to the coaches after the game, and he came out and he said, boy, this is a whole different experience uh, than it was when I was a player. So he had his eyes open right away as to what it was like to be a, a manager and, uh, you know, when they went doing their assessment of players and, and that sort of thing. So he's seen it all uh, as a player, and then now he's, he's seen an awful lot of it all from behind the scenes, and I think he'll do an outstanding job as, as general manager. And I think it was also a very good move to bring Dave Nonis in as mm-hmm. an assistant general manager. He's got general managing experience in Vancouver and Toronto, and uh, that vast knowledge certainly is going to be helpful to guide, uh, help guide uh, Craig along with his job. And as I was saying earlier, the big thing that I took out of his first news conference and several other interviews that he's done since then is that they're not going to make the same mistake that they made with uh, with Johnny Goudreau and not get something for him. Not going to lose a player and not get something for him. So uh, right now, I think his big job is finding a coach. And then he's got to sit down with those seven flame players, including Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund and, and a yeah. few others there. He'll sit down with them and find out whether or not they're willing to sign long-term with this team because all of the seven players that they have uh, contracts are out at the end of uh, this coming season, and uh, they can't afford to let this one get through the cracks as they did with uh, with Johnny. And to me, if they don't, if they can't get a deal done with them before uh, the start of this season, then you got to move them right away. You know, some people would say, well, wait till the deadline. Maybe you can get something for them. The problem is, if you get to the deadline and the team is having a good year, and a good position in standing and a chance of having a good run in the playoffs and you start moving some of these players and you kill the chemistry on the team. Yep. Yep. And so, um, you know, it's got to be done now if that, if that is the decision that they're going to make. So Craig's going to have his hands full, but uh, I'm sure that he'll handle it very well. And, um, you know, uh, this, the interview process for the coach will be an interesting one because as we all know, Craig's a very talkative guy. And uh, if he's going to talk to 30 coaches, that's probably going to take up about 400 hours of his time to well, get uh, all that sorted out. 
Yeah, and there's the, the famous story when they hired Glenn Gullitson that he went out to Vancouver and they did the grouse grind. They w- went for the run up the mountain. Uh, That's right. That, True. That was, I forgot about you know, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to that end, Pete, and I do want to get back to the players because I want to ask you a, a specific question about those players, but to Craig Conroy, and I was, a, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a friend of his and I'm a little defensive about it. Um, I, I thought a lot was made about him, him smiling and, and, you know, wanting it to be fun. And, and, and I thought it got painted in a way that wasn't fair necessarily to Craig. And, and I'm not trying to present him as some sort of, you know, devious mastermind or, or madman or, but the dog's got some bite. Like, you know, he, he is, you know, he's a very competitive guy. And, you know, yes, he wants it to be fun. And yes, he wants it to be lighter, but not at the expense of winning. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, most people have only seen, they see him on the ice playing hockey and, and when he was playing. And when you meet, when you meet him, I mean, he's bubbly and he's upbeat and positive and all that sort of thing. But I've also seen him have some very down moments and, uh, and he has that edge to him. And I think that's going to be a necessary that was a necessary thing in a general manager's position. And I have no doubt that uh, he will apply that when that is necessary. Uh, you, you know, publicly, maybe anytime you see him, it may all be kind of a bubbly type of situation and positive with him. That's just the character that he is. Yep. But when it comes to making decisions and handling people, I think you're going to see him have that edge to him that uh, you and I have seen uh, from him from time to time. Uh, in different kind of situations when he was a player and then not even when when he'd retired afterwards. And so I, I, I think that people portraying him being just a happy-go-lucky guy are not getting the true read on who Craig Conroy is. Right. You mentioned the seven players, Pete, and, and that's kind of hanging out there. Uh, one that he has specifically talked about is Elias Lindholm. I believe, and I apologize because I we were talking about this on Monday, and I said, "Well, they've got nobody else up the middle." My my apologies. Nazem Kadri can play center; it does play center, but but I do feel like you need to have a number one center, and that without Sean Monahan around here, and without one of the young guys being that, I, I think it puts more emphasis on keeping Lindholm. Yes, indeed, there's no question about that. He's a guy that he has to be the number one guy from that uh, group of seven players that you focus on and uh, try to get him signed. And, uh, you know, the way he, the way he departed, of course, when he, when he departed and all the other players departed, Daryl Sutter was still coach of the team. And I think there was a, a faction of the players there that um, were not happy being around Daryl and Daryl was coach and that sort of thing. But of course that's all been wiped out now. And so mm-hmm. they've got a new GM and there's going to be a new coach. And I think that's going to be the important part. As I was saying earlier, I think they've got to hire the coach first yeah. before they can get a definitive uh, yep. conclusion with regard to Lindholm and, and some of those other guys uh, that are in that situation because they're not going to want to commit unless they know who the coach is and have a pretty good idea what type of coach he is and whether or not that uh, it's somebody they can work with in a satisfactory manner. Now, not all you know coaches and players don't get along 100%, but with the, if there's a big situation where there's a, a huge, huge void, between the coach and the player, then, you know, you've got to have somebody in there that the coach can, uh, the player rather can respect. So I think, you know, they have to, I mean, there's no harm in talking to those guys now, but I don't think you can get a final decision from any of them until you've got a a head coach in place uh, for, for this season. And so, you know, to me that has to happen well before July one, for sure. It doesn't really have to happen before the draft, but um, it certainly has to happen 
fairly soon here. And I'm sure that's what Craig is focusing on this week for the most part is uh, getting in touch with the many uh, coaching candidates that are out there to see if um, see you get a little bit of a read on them uh, to get things started with regard to the process of uh, getting a coach hired here. How do you handicap it? And, and I'll say this by saying that, you know, traditionally, if you get rid of a hard-ass coach, you usually bring in a player's coach. And I think the Flayers, Flames have been guilty of going back and forth and back and forth on that. Gerard Gallant is an interesting name, not one that I would have brought up myself, but because he's out there, I thought that that was the problem with the Rangers was that Gallant and the and his players this year kind of fell off the same page. So it's a little interesting for me to hear his name out there. Yeah, I mean, Gerard Gallant, I mean, I've got all the respect in the world for Gerard. I know him personally. He's a Maritimer from, from Prince Edward Island. And, um, you know, he he got two 100-point seasons with the Rangers, this mm-hmm. past one and the one before that. Yep. And still they ended up firing him after uh, getting eliminated from the first round of the playoffs this year, which was uh, really kind of hard to, to fathom when you think he had 100-point seasons twice during the, the regular season and the Rangers stepped in and let him go after they had their accent interviews with players. Management did, that is, and uh, decided he wasn't the guy to be their, their coach. It was a little bit puzzling there. And, of course, he was let go very quickly also when he was coaching uh, Florida. He was also let go rather quickly when he was coaching in uh, in Las Vegas. So um, I, I don't know what all the, uh, the situations were there. Uh, but um, he's a guy that's got a pretty good coaching record in the regular season in the NHL, and he also mm-hmm. coached Jonathan Huberdeau for a full season with the, with the Florida Panthers. And, of course, Huberdeau is a player they have to get back on track this year uh, when he starts out on this eight-year contract that pays him $10.5 million a year. So, um, you know, that to me, that's why that might make him a candidate for the job. Now, Andrew Brunette, I think, was probably a guy that uh, the Flames were considering as well. But he, of course, uh, signed yesterday uh, to a, a new coaching, uh, getting a new coaching position in Nashville. And he's a guy that coached Hubert when he had that big 115-point yeah. season two years ago uh, with the Florida Panthers. So, uh, yeah, but Gerard Gallant, I mean, the fact that he's been around and he's had uh, the success would make him a candidate uh, for this job here with the Flames. And I'm sure that uh, uh, they'll interview him, whether or not he ends up being the coach, uh, you know, be another thing. Uh, but, you know, he certainly does have regular season credentials. Let's put it that way. Not so much in the playoffs, but does have regular season uh, credentials. And, you know, another name that popped into all this that kind of surprised me was Mark Savard, who um, was mm-hmm. a player here with the Flames back yep. in the early 2000s and a line mate uh, with, uh, with Jerome McGinley. And he's had some success coaching uh, with Windsor in the uh, Ontario Hockey League the last two uh, seasons of junior play. Now, that's the only head coaching experience he's had. But his name coming up in there is, is a little bit of a surprise, although Craig Conroy knows him, obviously, and Jerome McGinley's name has been attached as a guy that at some point could be joining the Flames organization in a managerial position. So he would probably have some good things to say about Mark, who uh, won a Stanley Cup, or at least was a member of the Boston Bruins when they won the Stanley Cup in, in 2011. Although he didn't play, he had some concussion issues that uh, forced him to end his NHL career earlier than he would have liked. But um, you know, that was another bit of a that was a bit of a surprise name that comes up. He never coached as a head coach in in uh, in professional hockey. He was assistant coach with the St. Louis Blues there for a couple of seasons, uh, going back to uh, 2017, 2018. So, uh, but I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other people that they're going to be talking to with regard to this job, including you know a bunch of people internally yep. and externally. Now they've got some very solid people internally that. Uh, 
names have been popped up quite regularly here in the uh, in the media and social media and elsewhere. And um, my only concern with regard to internally is I go back to the 2006-2007 season. Mm-hmm. It was the year after Daryl had uh, had stepped away from coaching the Flames and then took uh, was uh, concentrating only on the general manager's position. He had been the GM and coach for a while there. So he appointed Jim Playfair as the head coach of the Flames for that uh, season. And Jim was a, I thought Jim was an excellent, excellent coach. Yep. The problem that existed there was that when Daryl was the coach, Jim was the assistant or the associate coach. And when Daryl was bashing the players, it was Jim that had to come in and build them up again by patting them on the back and, and that type of deal. So then when Jim came in as the head coach of the team, he had to be, you know, he wasn't as tough as Daryl, obviously, but he had to have a much tougher fiber when he was handling uh, with the players. And a lot of the players were a little bit confused. They didn't know who is this guy. You know, he was a guy that really liked us last year, but this year he doesn't seem to uh, so much like us. And so that created a real problem with the team. And unfortunately, Jim uh, was uh, was let go as head coach of the team right after, after just one year right. as uh, head coach of the team. Then he was brought back in as an associate coach and when uh, Mike Keenan came in to be a uh, coach of the team. So to me, you've got to be very, very careful if you're making an internal decision with regard to a coach, especially after you've had a hard, hard line coach like Daryl yeah. uh, being the guy that was there previously. So, um, you know, and Jim Playfair never got another chance to be a head coach again in the NHL. And I think he would have made a real good one. I, I do too. Um, you know, speaking of friends of the program and, and guys I really like, I, I think he was in the unenviable position of having to work for the former coach. You know, let, let's use Ryan Huska as an example. I think it, I would like to think it would be different for Ryan Huska if he got elevated into that position, but it's, it's a fair, you know, it's a fair question to ask, right? Because he'd be in the yeah. exact same position, former American league coach for some of these guys, then the assistant and now the head coach. And, you know, that one, yeah. it really didn't work. Yeah, unfortunately, he did. He had a great gym, had great success as a oh, minor league, as you mentioned, absolutely. and was very, very studious. You know, there are some people who are saying, well, some not some people, some players are telling me that when 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 Mike Keenan was the coach, it was Jim Playfair yeah. who was drawing up the strategies for, for all yeah. the games for the team. So. Yes, no, I, I heard some of that, too. But it does bring us one last one on this topic, and that's Mitch Love. And Mitch Love mm-hmm. is in this really interesting position of being the it guy. And if the Flames had no coaching, you know, vacancies this year, people would be talking about Mitch Love, right? That he'd be, he reminds me of John Cooper and the way, because Cooper was in Syracuse when they hired Hartley and he was kind of the it kid. And, you know, I think there's some on the Flames organization that talked to Cooper and thought, "Eh, maybe we ought to talk to this guy, but Feaster had already gone down that path. I, I feel like Mitch Love is kind of the it guy, not in the NHL right now. Yeah, I mean, that's a different one. It's internal, but it's a little different than being an associate coach or, or a head coach with the team. As he's been dealing with, you know, all the young players that are in the system and tremendous amount of success uh, both years. He was head coach Stockton last year. And then uh, this year when the uh, when the team was here in Calgary as the uh, Wranglers in the in the American Hockey League. So he's a real interesting uh, he's a real interesting uh, candidate for that coaching job. And of course, uh, Craig Monroy would have observed him very closely. Uh, over his time with the uh, with the American League team and the success that he's had and the way he handled players and all that sort of thing, so 
I'm sure he's going to get himself, a, you know, a pretty, I would think, a pretty extensive interview for this job, as well as some of the other internal people that the Flames have. But he's a real interesting one. He's, what, 38 years old, so he's a very, you know, the last time I was on the show a couple of weeks ago, I said, I couldn't, at that time, I couldn't quite remember some of the other coaches quickly ages. And then, of course, reminded me afterwards that uh, Ryan Pike, I believe, came out with a mentioning that Greg Gilbert was around that same age when he was uh, appointed coach of the Flames back in 2001, 2002. And that's, of course, when they had the issue with the Mark Savard. So yeah. that's just a, yeah. a whole bunch of little things there. But, yeah, I think he's a, he's a worthy guy. No question, Mitch Love, for this uh, with this position. So uh- Around the league yesterday, we saw two uh, of the positions um, that were filled. Uh, I, I didn't – I like I, I have a lot of time for Barry Trotz and I have a lot of time for the Nashville Predators organization, but that one felt a little odd to me that they kind of left John Hines hanging there and then brought in Andrew Burnett. Yeah, that I mean, to me, that should have been done much earlier to give John Hines an opportunity to look at – uh, some other coaching positions. Same with Sheldon Keith in uh, yeah, in, exactly. uh, in Toronto. I mean, he's, yeah. he's been sitting around waiting and waiting, and if he ends up losing that job, it's going to be too late to get another job uh, in the NHL for this uh, coming uh, season. But, uh, yeah, that was a little bit surprising because, in, in reality, Barry Trotz isn't taking over as GM of that team in Nashville until July 1, although he's in the chair now because David Boyle is retiring at the end of, uh, at the end of June here. But uh, you know, so the decision making going forward is up to uh, to the, the guy who's in the general manager chair, and uh, Tots is definitely that. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it left. Uh, he could have at least told Hines that he was considering making a change, and and maybe allowed him to interview mm-hmm. elsewhere. But but I guess you know he, he looked at it another way, and Andrew Vinette came in and be the guy. As I mentioned earlier, he was the guy that I think the Flames had on their list to want to talk to, and they may already they have had talked to him. Uh, before he got this uh, job with uh, with Nashville, and then yesterday, the other uh, coach getting the job is Spencer um, uh, Carberry, uh, coaching now the Washington Capitals after being an assistant coach in Toronto for uh, for a couple of uh, couple of seasons. And now there's four coaching vacancies that are open around the league. The Flames have theirs, and of course Anaheim, Columbus, and and the New York Rangers. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we've had you know in the last um, in the last couple of days here, we've had some signings. Those two coaches, and today the general manager. Uh, in in Toronto, and I'm just wondering if we might see a few more signings here in the next couple of days. Because in the past, uh, Gary Bettman, in his position as uh, as uh, commissioner of the NHL, has sent out notices to all teams in the league that he'd prefer that they didn't make any any moves for coaches, management, while yep. the Stanley Cup Finals are on, because he wanted to have, wants to have the Stanley Cup Finals be the total of focus. Now, some teams have done have not followed through on that recommendation or suggestion. And I've made announcements during the Stanley Cup final, but I'm sure they try to get around it. So it might be interesting if we see uh, some coaching decisions made here in the next uh, couple of days before the Stanley Cup finals uh, get going. And it's surprising to me is how long the New York Rangers have been without a coach since they fired Gerard Gallant. I mean, that's been a long, uh, mm-hmm. long uh, tenure now, but almost a month since that happened. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, Peter Laviolette's name, has been mentioned prominently with uh, with the Rangers, and he's also been mentioned here for the uh, Flames. But I'm just wondering if in the Rangers situation, they're waiting to talk to Joel Quenville. And Joel Quenville can't go back into coaching. He has to get approval from Commissioner Bettman. And Commissioner Bettman has already said that he won't talk to Quenville about that until after the Stanley Cup finals are over. 
Now, that puzzles me a little bit as to why you would wait then. I'm sure Gary has an hour somewhere in there that he can meet with uh, Quinn Mill and, yeah. and uh, talk over the situation that uh, uh, saw him forced to resign as coach of, uh, of the Florida Panthers going back to the start of the, the previous season. So um, uh, two years ago, rather. And um, so uh, I'm just wondering if that's not holding up some of these uh, coaching uh, positions that uh, that are out there. Uh, he certainly would be a strong candidate giving his Handley, Stanley Cup winning experience and, and as a coaching uh, background. And of course, when you, if you tie him up, we want to connect him to the flames. He and Lanny McDonald are great friends. I mean, they're yeah. real personal friends. Yeah. And of course, Lanny's not in flame management, but he's certainly around the scene as a, as a, uh, as a great ambassador for the, for the flame hockey team. So I'm sure that if they were considering him, uh, they'd be talking to, uh, to Lanny about Joel uh, Quenville. They actually were traded together when I was broadcasting Maple Leaf games in uh, Toronto, they got traded to the Colorado Avalanche mm-hmm. on the 28th of, de- of December. And what led to that trade was that Daryl Sittler was the captain of the team. And uh, Punch and Black had just come in that season to be the uh, new general manager of the team, replacing uh, Jim Gregory. And uh, Daryl and, uh, and Punch didn't get along very well. But Daryl was the very first player. Daryl Sittler was the very first player in the history of the NHL to have a no-trade clause in his contract, and he refused to uh, to uh, be traded by the Maple Leafs, even though he was fed up with Imlac and all that sort of thing. So Imlac couldn't trade Lanny, or certain couldn't trade Daryl, so he traded his best friend Lanny and Joel Quenville, who was a defenseman on that team, to the Colorado Rockies, and they went there with uh, Don Cherry, was coaching uh, the Rockies, and I well remember that day. There was a there was a Leaf game uh, that night at Maple Leaf Gardens, and there was a big demonstration out in front of the building of uh, fans out there and, and uh, criticizing the Maple Leafs for trading Lanny McDonald. And uh, it, it certainly got an awful lot of uh, media attention in Toronto at that uh, particular time. And then it was interesting last November, Rob, when you were the MC of the Lanny mm-hmm. McDonald night that we had at the uh, Saddledome, I was sitting at the same table with Daryl Sittler. And I mentioned to Daryl about that. And uh, he said, Oh yeah, that was quite a, that was quite an experience. Uh, with uh, with punch on that particular occasion, he eventually I got fed up with him and told him to trade me, and that's when he got traded to uh, to Philadelphia. But he said those were he said those times when he was at the Maple Leafs when Harold Ballard was the owner, and then uh, Harold had brought in Punch and Black. He said yeah. he could write he could write about ten books on what was transpiring behind the scenes uh, during all that time. So uh, anyway, another interesting little uh, development there with Joel Quinville and Lanny McDonald. Yeah, but who would re- who would believe them now, Pete? Right? That, yeah. that's, that's the thing. We know they happen, but they're almost unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, to the matters at hand, at least with the remaining two teams, uh, it seems like the Florida Panthers have have put a little emphasis into just get in. Like now, just get in. Right. Yeah. You know, people have been you know. Teams have been saying that for, for a while, you know, the coaches yeah. or management, you know, just get into the playoffs, anything can happen. And I didn't, I wasn't one that really bought into that. Like I was saying, okay, sure, it's great to make the playoffs, but, you know, the chances of you winning a Stanley Cup, which is what it's all about, mm-hmm. uh, when you just get in are not very strong. Although there's some exceptions, like Daryl Sutter, when he coached Los Angeles in, in, uh, in 2012, when they finished the last qualifying team in the playoffs and then ultimately went on to win the Stanley Cup. That, that is a real rare situation until this year when we're seeing all of these upsets that have happened so far in, in the playoffs that have led to a Stanley Cup final here between Florida and, and Vegas. But I'm starting to believe more and more maybe it is just get in. Because in the past, if you weren't one of the top five or six or seven uh, place teams overall in the league, 
uh, you didn't win a Stanley Cup, even though you got into the playoffs and maybe won a round or so. But now mm-hmm. it seems the underdogs are, um, you know, maybe the game is a, a lot more closer than, than it had been at any other time in, in the history of the game. But uh, these uh, certainly uh, the expectation level now, just get in and you do have a chance. You see what these teams have done so far this year to get themselves to the final. Vegas, not so much. They were uh, the top team in their uh, in their division. But, you know, what the Florida Panthers have done, the teams they've knocked off to get there has been really, really uh, incredible. I mean, this was a team, this team finished with less points than the Flames. Yep. They, they had 92 points. The Flames had 93. The Flames are not in the playoffs. The uh, Panthers are in the playoffs, and not only in the playoffs, they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. So I'm going to put more into that, uh, that being a possibility, just get in. Well, to me, part of that equation now, Pete, is a guy who's done nothing all year can still find it. And, and Alex Lyons was the reason that the Florida Panthers got in. He came in and bailed out their season and put him on his back. And, you know, this unheralded American Hockey League goalie, got them there and then he gets shelled at some point and they give the net back to Bobrovsky and he looks like the guy that you signed for $10 million. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely incredible. I mean, they pretty much everybody in the league had pretty much given up on Bobrovsky figuring he can't, you know, he's well, he's way, way, way overpaid. He's never going to be worth the value that you're paying him. And all of a sudden he refines his game and he's got the team in the Stanley cup finals after not even been the goalie when the playoffs got started. So it's just absolutely a, an incredible story. No question about that. So that, and I and, think uh, you uh, need a little bit of what Matt Kachuk brings to the lineup. And, and that's that, you know, that kind of uh, shift disturber, you know, but just everything, all the intangibles that you talk about, he had them during the season. He just couldn't do it by himself for an 82 games, but now he's just come to a different level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when 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 he was with the Flames, he was my favorite player. When I was mm-hmm. a Flames broadcaster, I never had a favorite player. I didn't feel that was proper to have a favorite player. But since I become a fan of the team, Matthew yeah. Kachuk, when he was here, was my favorite Flame player. I mean, what he was doing out on the ice, his agitation, his hard work, and and then paying off with a great uh, with the great attributes uh, to get things done, getting some scoring and getting uh, points and goals and that sort of thing. And he's done. He goes to uh, Florida in his first season there with a whole bunch of new teammates. He has himself a career year, better than anything close to what he had here. And that has continued right on now into the the playoffs. And he's been such a, a dominant feature uh, with the uh, Florida Panthers. I, I would say right now, if they were voting for the the uh, winner of the playoff MVP, that it would either be him or uh, Bobrovsky. And uh, you know, we'll see how the finals go to see how that all pans out. But. Uh, those two guys certainly have been the big, big reason why the Panthers have uh, gotten themselves to where they are. They've had now, uh, they've now had themselves, uh, what is it, 12 days off before they're going to play their first game. Now, some might say that's um, a little bit too much, and perhaps it is, but they, they were a team that I think the way they play needed a little bit of a break. Maybe not 12 days, but they did need a bit of a, uh, bit of a break to go into the uh, finals. And I think the fact that they're starting this final series in uh, Vegas and on the road is a bit of a help because if they're a bit rusty in the first game, at least they won't have lost a game at home and yeah. uh, they can regain themselves as it, as it goes along. But I, I'm looking forward to this final to being a real, real uh, dandy series between two teams that, um, that uh, you know, have got a lot, you know, they've got a lot going for themselves. When you, when you look at it, I think the, uh, the better goaltender is mm-hmm. with, um, with Florida. That's if Bobrovsky continue his, uh, his outstanding uh, play. Uh, the better defense is definitely with um, 
with Vegas. They've got some real depth on defense, and both teams have some real good depth uh, up front. So yep. uh, I'm looking for a great series. I think Kachuk, of course, will be a big, big factor uh, with the uh, Panthers. But, you know, another guy, a guy with the uh, with the uh, Vegas team that uh, that has almost been as impactful as uh, Jack Eichel. Yes. He's really come, come into Absolutely. his own and living up to the promise he was when uh, he was drafted by uh, the Buffalo Sabres where things didn't quite work out for him. Then he had that big surgery that the Sabres didn't, uh, uh, wouldn't uh, recommend that he have or wouldn't agree to let him have it. He goes out on his own, has it. Then he comes back, and it's taken him a while. And boy, he's really been playing very well in the playoffs as well. So, anyway, looking forward to a great series. As far as making a prediction, Rob, I don't know mm. if I should make one because I've uh, predicted every series so far in the uh, playoffs, and there have been seven. There have been fourteen series. I've been right on seven of them, and mm. I had the wrong winner in both conference finals. So, should I pick a winner now? Sure, but do like me. Half an hour from now, you can change your mind because that's yeah. that's how I go. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm, I'm betwixt and between. We got Kachuk for Florida, and yeah. Vegas has more Canadian-born players on their roster than than Florida does. They have 14, so I'm going to stick with the country. Are you okay? Vegas wins. Okay. I, I, Gav, our producer's taking Vegas in six. I, I'm going to go with, I, I have no ill will towards Matt Kachuk. Uh, I really don't. I, I can understand why people, he's, you know, he left us and all those sort of things. That's the business. I, I wish the Flames could have done a better job of trying to keep him. And I think the building will help and all of those sort of things. But I, I just, he's hard not to like. I got to know him a little bit. I was around him a little bit. Uh, I just, you know, and, and, I don't know. You know, I've been put off by Vegas a little bit that, that, you know, they had such success coming in and, and now you have to listen to all of these stats about, you know, how successful they've been, how many, you know, finals they've been to already, how many semifinals they've been and everything. They stacked the deck for that team. Like no other team has been stacked. Even Seattle didn't have the, the opportunities coming into the league that Bill Foley's team did. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, Gary Bettman even made that comment uh, going back to an interview that I heard him do not all that long ago, saying that the league decided that with the amount of money that they were yep. charging uh, Vegas to come in and, and then Seattle, that they were going to allow it to, to have better players for them to select from when they're uh, uh, taking players off opposing teams. Teams will only be able to pro the 10 players each team could protect in the last two expansion drafts. So uh, you were nine players, I think it was. So you were getting the 10th best player on all of these teams, and that had helped make these teams successful so quickly. Although I, I'm, you know, I was quite surprised that Vegas was able to get to the final so quickly when they did the first time, and uh, you know, Seattle doing it again. But mm -hmm. they, you know, they got the good quality players in there, and they had themselves a very good run uh, this season. But you know, that that was, you know, that was a good mark on the part of the uh, motive ownership to um, allow yeah. these teams to have a better opportunity to be uh, be successful rather than be in the bottom of the league for a long period of time that they built their team to uh, to contending fashion. No, and it's a good, I, I don't, I think it was the right move. Don't get me wrong. I think it was the right move. I just don't, I'm just not empathetic to, you know, Florida, the, when Rhett played for Florida three years in, that was a story, right? John Van Beesbrook and the rats and all of yeah. that. That was a story. Vegas. Did you they, know that they, that rack thing started with the flames? Did it start with the flames? Yeah, the Flames were playing in Florida, yeah. and before the game, uh, Scott Mellonby killed a yeah. rat in the dressing room. Right. He then went out and scored two goals in that game against the Flames, and ever since and that, they called that the Scott Mellonby hat trick, and that's how the rat 
the rap pack or rap, whatever they call it, became famous in Florida. That was in the old old building yep. where the in Miami where they uh, where they played the game in a very rough part of town. And um, yeah, that that started a night where they beat the Flames and Scott Melody. Uh, you know, killed a rat in the dressing room with his hockey stick, then went out and scored a couple of goals. So they got the hat trick, won the game, and then the rats followed on the ice as they had that great run in the playoffs that year. And now it's back again in the mode all these years later in a much, much better building. And also now they're getting sellout crowds. I mean, I remember watching some of their games this season when you'd watch them on television. You look at the uh, empty seats that were in the stands are incredible. For, for an NHL team that had done so well, especially last year when they finished number one overall. But, uh, you know, they brought hockey, finally made it uh, something that's popular in South Florida, where prior to that, only Tampa was the one that yeah. was getting great, great hockey excitement. But now it's also spread to the other side of the coast. No, and, and let's not throw... Let's not throw stones at glass houses, Pete, because when I arrived in 2003, 2004, there were some, you know, gloomy nights and Tuesdays in the fall and stuff like that. The crowds weren't much better here either, right? So All right. give them a win. Yes, winner. Rob, I can remember nights there when we were in that run where the Flames had gone seven straight years with no playoffs. There weren't 7,000 people in that the building. The, uh, the upper area there where we were, there was nobody. And, um, you know, things were very good for the same hockey team at the time. And the same in Edmonton, too. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Edmonton had a downtime also. You're right. Yep, yep. Both of those cities had great success for a while. And then when things went a little bit flat, their attendance went uh, went away, way down. And both of them have been able to recover uh, sufficiently, quite greatly, actually. The Flames really have been having close to settled crowds ever since they had that playoff run in in 2004, which – which to me, and I think I've, we've talked about it here before, is that I really believe that saved the franchise. Yes. Because if that absolutely. team hadn't made the playoffs that year, it would have been eight years in a row, no playoffs. And then there was no hockey the year after that because the players were all locked out for the 80 04 05 season. And uh, then when they came back for the 05 06 campaign, the Saddle Dome was full of people. But that I don't think been the case if there had been nine straight years of no playoff hockey here no. in, uh, in Calgary. So, no, no, I, I agree with you. Um, and now we've got a new arena. Now we, yes, we do. Um, (laughs) yes, that's what I understand. So, uh, next year, when does it open, Pete? Do we have, do we have a (laughs) timetable? I don't think they can build it that fast, but it would be nice if they could put the uh, shovel in the ground today and start going, but they've got a bunch of things that have to get worked out behind the scenes. But we were a little bit concerned going into the election on Monday that, uh, if uh, the the NDP had uh, emerged as the uh, the power, that uh, this uh, thing might have to go through a reexamination. But the fact that uh, that uh, Daniel Smith and uh, the UPC uh, have now the majority, uh, they'll start working now on getting that going. The, uh, some of the information seems to indicate that they'll start probably in uh, after the uh, after the stampede in. Uh, 2024 so that's not mm. this summer but the following okay. summer so we're still a while uh before we're going to uh, see this team in the building it's probably going to take i would guess three years to, to build yeah. uh build the building and so we're, we're a little way down the road but at least now we've got an opening that the building is uh, pretty much on its way and uh look forward to uh having that all get rounded out and the shovels go in the ground and we can once they get the new one in there it'll uh It'll be a much, much better scene for fans to go to watch the game and better for the players that are involved there and well to be in more update facilities. Agreed. You'll you'll excuse me if I'm just a little nervous until we see shovels. 
Yes, because we were at this point once before. <laughs> yes, we have been. We have been. Uh, be, before I let you go, the, uh, Flames. What do we got this date in Flames history? Well, this is this time now. Uh, going back, it's May thirty first. But before I do that, I want to. I'm going to talk about May 29th and May thirty first. So this, of course, was in that two thousand four uh, playoff yep. run that the uh, that the Flames had, and it was on the the twenty ninth of May that the Flames won Game Three of that series against Tampa. That game was in the Saddle Dome, and a uh, big three nothing uh, victory. Uh, for the uh, Flames to gain uh, two games to one lead in the series. Uh, Mika Kiprasov uh, stopped 21 shots to get the shutout, his fifth shutout of the playoffs, and uh, that would be his last uh, playoff shutout of that run. Uh, Chris Simon and Jerome McGinley both had a goal and an assist in that game, but that was also the night that Jerome McGinley and Vincent LeCavalier engaged in that fight that, uh, that gained an awful lot of uh, attention around the NHL and those two top players. I uh, had that uh, fight. Now, then we go to May 31st, which is uh, 2004 uh, on this night. And that is another game that was played in the uh, in the Saddle Dome. And Tampa won that game one nothing to tie the series at, uh, at 2-2. Brad Richards scoring the uh, only goal. That was a power play goal that came early in the game, two minutes and 48 seconds into the first period. Uh, Brad Richards scored that goal, and the Flames couldn't get one by and Nikolai Habibulin, who stopped 29 shots for uh, that shutout. And then Mika Kiprasov stopped uh, 27 shots in the flame net, allowing just the, the one one goal. And, of course, series then would go to uh, Tampa for game three, and the Flames would win that one 3-2 in, in overtime and take a uh, three games to two lead in the series. That was also the 10th road game. The Flames won on that uh, playoff run, which tied an NHL record that still stands. They're tied with the New Jersey Devils, who did that prior to that. And uh, then, of course, we had the infamous game here at the Saddle Dome on uh, on June the fifth, when the um, when the Panthers won in double overtime, three to or the uh, the uh, Panthers, the Lightning scored in double overtime to uh, to uh, steal that game from the Flames. I guess the best way to put it, because Marty Jelena actually scored a goal for That's the right. Flames with about eight minutes left to go in the third period, but they didn't have the video review that we have now. So it was uh, determined that the puck had not gone across the line, although since then we've seen pictures of the puck across the, the goal line. So anyway, Tampa won that game and then it would send the series to game seven. And uh, that one was a 2-1 victory for the uh, Lightning. And they captured the Canada Cup in Tampa on the, the June the 7th. Flames got behind in that game 2-0. And then the current general manager of the Flames, Craig Conroy, right. scored a power play goal at 9:21 of the uh, third period, getting the Flames back to within one. And they, Made it a battle. He had a brief power play in the closing couple of minutes there, but uh, they couldn't get the tying goal, and Tampa won the Stanley Cup. So that was all the case in 2004. I want to rewind days. just a little bit to that one nothing loss to Tampa. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That was the Carrie Fraser call? That's right. Yeah, that's right. right. Was that yeah. a five-on-three goal? Uh, I, I think it was a five-on-four. Okay. okay. I'd have to go back and check that. I should have checked Remember, that everybody lost their mind about Carrie Fraser. Yes, right? and that's why Carrie Fraser. Wait, now, let me get this right. That's, oh. Was he not? He was supposed to be the referee six? of game six. Yeah. That's right. He was supposed to be the referee in game six, and the league said, no, it's better not because of the incidents that happened in uh, in game four. You're right. That may have been a five on three. I should have checked that closer. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, please apologize for, for not having the information on something 20 years ago that I could completely be wrong on. I'll check. I'll send you a text after this is done. All right. Send me a text. Um, and before I let you go, uh, what do you think? Brad and, and Craig hook up? Big deal. You know, maybe Calgary can fleece Toronto. Maybe, you know, fair is fair. Go, go back and revisit history a bit. <laughs> Yes, we are deserving of having a fair, <laughs> being the winner of a trade between those uh, two teams. Going back to, going back to nineteen was it ninety two when Cliff Fletcher, uh, who had been the Flames' uh, general manager, left here to be the general manager in Toronto, just as Brad Tree Living has done now. Except uh, Brad didn't get a Stanley Cup here, which Cliff did in in nineteen eighty nine. And of course, uh, that big ten player trade, one of the biggest trades in NHL history, uh, was made, and it ended up with the Flames not getting very much very much positive in that exchange. They, of course, gave up Doug Gilmore and Jamie McCowan and Rick Walmsley and uh, Rick Natras in uh, that trade and ended up getting the best player they got back in that uh, trade was Gary Lehman. And uh, he didn't turn out too well as a member of the Flames, although later he would go on and win a Stanley Cup with the Montreal uh, Canadiens. So, sure. yeah, that was uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of people say that Cliff Fletcher picked the Flames' pockets on that uh, particular trade. But it was a situation where Doug Gilmore was going to be traded. He had had a run-in with the Flames' then general manager, Doug Reisbrow, over a contract thing. And the thing with Doug, when Doug Reisbrow was the GM of the Flames, he was like he played. Everything was a confrontation. And he and uh, Gilmore got themselves into a big confrontation uh, with regard to uh, his uh, contract. And uh, and then it got to a point where they said he's going to be traded. He's got to be traded. So he got traded. And, and what was really interesting is that uh, Cliff Fletcher, when he was general manager of the Flames, wanted to get Gary Lehman for the Flames. Couldn't uh, couldn't get a trade pulled off. He goes to Toronto, and he's there a limited amount of time, and he wants to trade Gary Lehman. So that should have told the people in the Flames' office, so some of those were in his office when Cliff was here, 
that maybe there was an issue with Gary Lehman. And it turned out he wasn't the good player that, uh, that they were thinking they were getting in that transaction. And some of the other players they got there have escaped my mind. Some of them never got to play in the NHL. As they should. As they <laughs> should. Uh, great to catch up, Pete. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Obviously, uh, we wait to hear from Brad for living tomorrow. He'll speak to the media about his new job in Toronto and um, eagerly awaiting uh, some of Craig's first decisions so that people can judge what kind of GM he's going to be. Right? That's what There's we going to be lots to talk about. There's no question There's about no- that. Yep. No doubt. The summer is not going to be quiet from a hockey standpoint. Never. No, no, never is around here. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for doing this. All right. You take care, Rob. Chat later. Peter Meyer, everybody. The legend, the Hall of Fame, seven Hall of Fames, I believe. Uh, Brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Live in the Oodle Noodle studio. We're not just crazy about noodles. We put the same energy back into the community. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest. Pick up and delivery at 105 Main Street North and Airdrie as well. Well, we're not going to let the moss grow under our feet. Uh, Speaking of Hall of Famers, uh, we are blessed to have another one in. Brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. Just three locations or four locations normally. Just one location open right now. That's McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Make sure you check them out for some great off-season deals. And online, skisellersnowboard.com. She will be enshrined in the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame in the media division later on this summer. And uh, kind enough to join us, I guess, because school's out for summer, as Alice Cooper once sang. Uh, Vicki Hall is with us. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Glad you could make some time for us. What is keeping you busy these days? Well, I'm teaching at SAIT. Yeah. Uh, I teach journalism at SAIT, and uh, the students go to school in the summer, a lot of them. So, oh, do they? Yeah, so, we're, it's just teaching. So, you don't get like a five month break? No, no. So, they were uh, doing election work this week. And okay. uh, yeah, so it's been a busy week. How was that for them? Well, uh, we do have a lot of international students, so uh, some of the the rivalry that was playing out, just like a sports rivalry, was a Very bit shocking so. to yeah. them. Okay. I also had some students from India. You know how the the reporters were all upset because the election results were slow coming in, and how terrible this is. They were laughing the next morning. They were like, "It takes a month in India." They they, they like basically they gather them all together and put them in one building and count them. Right. We're a little spoiled, right? It was kind of funny to hear their perspective. Just a yeah, just a little spoiled. Um, we just had Peter Marr on, uh, get you to react. Um, I don't know how you covered a little bit of Brad Tree Living, didn't you? Yeah, very or, beginning. Yeah, very and beginning. then I actually through the pandemic, I was covering uh the Stanley Cup playoffs all the way through for CBC. Okay. So yeah, so not as a beat writer, but uh, as an NHL writer. Okay, surprised to see that that he lands in Toronto as the general manager? Not one bit. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seems like a, a natural fit. Brad is great with the media. He's got experience. He's not scared to make bold moves. Uh, like, he, to me, he's exactly what the Leafs need, especially after what transpired. So uh, I think he'll I think he'll do great there. I mean, I, but that being said, I don't know of anyone short of winning the Stanley Cup. The, the Like, that's basically the the bar that you are at. So, I, I mean, he'll be criticized like crazy, but I don't think that's going to bother him. No, I, and we, Pete and I were talking about that, and I, I hope people understand it's it's not an endorsement so much of Toronto in this situation, but I fully get why you want to go there because you want to be the person that, that, you know, that brings the Stanley Cup. 
to Toronto. You'll never pay for lunch again. You'll never pay for a drink again, right? You would be, they'd build a statue to you. Nick Nurse is never going to have to pay anything in Toronto. He won the, the Raptors, their NBA championship. Sure, he can be in Philly, but it still will be our Nick Nurse, right? Yeah, and if you talk to the players, like the ones who are from like the big horseshoe down there and yeah. the population is so high. I mean, I talked to Mark Giordano, like, I don't know, eight years before he went to the Leafs. And every time we'd go to Toronto, we'd be like, what do you think about maybe playing here one day? Yeah. And they would all get a sparkle in their eye and they would like, they'd be lying to you if they said they would never be interested. Or do you remember how excited a lot of those players would get in Toronto? Mm-hmm. Like you'd go to the Air Canada center and it was one thing I didn't fully realize until I started covering the team is like, it's a job for them. And some nights they've played five games and eight nights oh, and they're tired and you're absolutely. back to back and you're playing in Columbus. And, and I think, you know, I was remembering when I was little and listening to Peter Marr. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it was, everything was like live or die with what it was, but some nights they're at work and that's what they're doing. And and we all have good days at the office and bad days at the office. I'm sure you do too. And so some days I teach well, and some days I'm sure the te- students would tell sure. you that I don't. Yeah. But when you get to Toronto, especially for Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, they were all little boys again. Yep. No, it, it's a great point, and I don't think you get it. Uh, it didn't get, it didn't dawn on me right away. You just assume, well, you're playing a game and you're getting paid millions of dollars, so you should be the happiest human being in the entire universe. It's not how it works. They don't know any different, right? They don't. It's not like these kids came up. Uh, working in in a grocery store and then got all that this has been they come up they get the little contract and they get the big con it's work but there's something about the lights in toronto there's something about playing there there's something about the you know they can complain about the media all they want but it's the story like it's it's you know it's 50 60 deep in that dressing room every day Right. Yeah. And even on the counter side, it was interesting because I was used to covering a Canadian team. Sure. So we would go down to San Jose or Anaheim or whatever. And it would be interesting because quite often it would be the Canadian players who were hanging around in the dressing room part where the media could go. Yeah. Because, and they might be like, oh, I hate the media. No, they were like, they, they like the attention. They, they like the attention. Like yeah. it was, and, and so Toronto is the epicenter of that. But it's, yeah, I think. I talked to so many players who they, that's where they want to be. And so for Brad, I think that he's, I think it's a great place for him. I think he, if anyone can manage the media pressure, it's him. And I also think it's fresh eyes to make some decisions on that team where they go forward because they have some big decisions to make. And I also think that the Johnny Goudreau situation, you know, Brad's not going to let that happen again. So it'll no, be interesting. That, yeah. that, that whole, let's, Table that for a second because that that one's got a little bit of a, a unique life here. The other part is Sheldon Keefe, right? Like, what do you do with the coach? And I, I said to Pete, not unlike when he took over this team and at Bob Hartley. I wonder how much the Bob Hartley experience is going to kind of influence Brad for living and his decision on the coach there. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the team his own faster. I don't know what he's going to do for sure, but I think it will be bold. No, it's not going to be risk adverse. That's mm. for sure. He's not going to be risk adverse. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Does he, so if these, if the locals go with Huska, does he try and pull love in or if they go with love, does he pull Huska in? I he mean, could very well, very well. I would say, especially if it's love, who's, who's, who's he has there. that John Cooper, I don't know, new car smell that Cooper had in Syracuse, right? They, people were talking about John Cooper long before he got to the NHL. And I think Mitch Love's starting to get a little of that. Okay, so I was listening to some commentator talk, I think, yesterday, and they were saying that Craig Conroy needs to hire someone with 
NHL experience because he's the new GM. I'm not saying I agree with that. I I don't necessarily. But that because Conroy's a new GM, he needs a coach with NHL experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it was Nick Kiprios who was oh, who was saying that. Well, then there you go. <laughs> but I, it's an, but it's an interesting argument, right? Um, I think Brad would be totally comfortable taking someone like Mitch, and I do agree with you. I think that uh, maybe that's exactly what the Leafs need. I yes, but I would counter the point that Nick's making uh, that. I, I let's throw out all the old conventions because but based on that, then don't, you know, the flames need to find a, a you know, a, a player's coach now because, because they just got rid of a hard ass. So you got to bring a player's coach in. And then when he goes, we'll bring in a hard ass. Like there's so many of these old conventions, right? Well, you know, he, he's a new GM. So he's got to have a, a he's got to have a, a freaking old a, a veteran coach. Like Gerard Gallant's name really surprised me. And I felt bad. I forgot that he was an East Coaster. So when you bring that point up to Pete, you're you're kind of like, you know, you know, you're taking a run at the East Coast. I didn't mean that, but I'm surprised Gerard Gallant's name has come up. Well, because think- he didn't. He just lost the team, didn't he? Isn't yes. that the complaint in New York? He lost the team. That was the yeah. The allegation was that for sure. It right? was similar to the story here. So right? I, I don't know. I mean, like that to me seems like the way the world goes. I mean, in, in newspapers back when there was a healthy mm-hmm. broadsheet and a tab in town mm-hmm. at the Edmonton journal would be like, we don't want to have crime on the front page. We're not going to have crime on the front page. Right. We don't, we want to be an intelligent where the paper of record, then some major crime would happen that the sun would get and the Edmonton journal wouldn't get. And all of a sudden it would be like, we need crime on the front page every day. So I do think that, and I also think that Craig is, we kind of just jumped right into this, but he is, he's smart enough to not, necessarily go with the conventions and go with hockey culture and make a, make an intelligent decision that he's comfortable with himself. I, I, I wholeheartedly endorse that. I mean, I'm biased. I, I am, I know I'm biased, but um, you know, the, the thing that's bugged me a little bit and is this, the, the way that he's been portrayed is eh, it's happy go lucky. Craig dog's got some bite. He, he can make a decision. He's going to have to make some decisions here. Right. And you brought it up with uh, Brad, but Craig mentioned it in his press conference. They can't have another Johnny Goudreau. It, it, everybody seems okay with it. You know, in the past, wouldn't that be a criticism? Ooh, Craig just criticized the previous general manager. But I don't read it as that because I think Brad would say the same thing to you. That was a learning experience for everybody involved. But I, I remember Craig like that as a player. Like if you, you know, if you wanted an honest assessment yes. of the game, yes. like what happened in the game tonight, what did we do? And he wouldn't throw his teammates under the bus, but he also would tell you the truth. Yes. It was almost like he respected you too much to, to lie to, you. to lie or yeah. to, to treat you like you didn't know. Yeah. Like, and so I think, but that's really an interesting talk about leadership period. Either you have to be the hard ass or you're the nice players coach uh, and people struggle with the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that the middle is actually where society's going. Do we, or is the narrative struggling with the middle? Well, I think the narrative is traditionally that it needs, and especially in sports culture and, yeah. and maybe masculine sports culture. Yes. Like is, no, that, I think that's fair. Is, I yeah. don't want to be unfair there with that, but it's just like, you know, we need somebody who's no nonsense and we want to do this and, or, Oh, we need to react to that. And we need to get someone who's, who's really nice even as an instructor at school or anyone who's listening, who's a manager, that kind of thing. Like the workforce today, especially Mm -hmm. young people, they will not put up with what 
you and I probably put up with no. when we were younger. No. Like I worked at a fast food restaurant where the manager told me I had excrement for brain because I messed up an order. Yep. That's not going to happen now. Nope. That's not going to happen now. Nope. But at the same time, they also don't want somebody who they can just run right over. Like they want structure and they want someone who's going to give them honest feedback. And they want like, so I don't think it's one or the other. But don't you think that that's part of our struggle right now is that we, we society hasn't kept up with that. We, we now defer to managers rather than the leaders. Leaders are leaders tell you things you don't want to hear. Absolutely. And, and we don't like that. Right. And, and, you know, I, and I think, you know, not to make a case for Daryl Sutter, because I'm not sure it's exactly black and white like that, but Daryl was never going to tell you what you wanted to hear. Daryl was going to tell you what you needed to hear. And I think there's a bit of a struggle there. Right. I think we're more we're happier with managers. We're happier with people who pat us on the heads and tell us it'll be all right tomorrow rather than no, you effed up and now go fix it. Right. Well, I mean, Kevin in superhero hockey. Yeah. Ta talking about but a you. leader. Right. Talking about a leader. So Kev, my son plays superhero hockey. It's the first anybody's game. heard of it on this program. Yeah, Kevin, you know, Kevin will tell him yeah. nicely. But, yeah. you know, AJ, you need to not get that mad at your teammate because they didn't pass you. Yep. <laughs> to me, like, you yep. need to be, you need to, it, he'll tell you the truth. Yeah, right. Kind, one of the kindest men I know, but you need to hear it. Yep. You need to hear it. And, and I, I hope that that's what, what Craig brings to this. So, you know, again, that whole idea of they can't have another Goudreau happen puts him in an interesting precarious position now. Cause he's kind of indicated that, you know, he's going to make a determination right away on, on the seven guys for next year. Right. I wonder if that's throughout the whole league. Like, I wonder if Goudreau is the last Goudreau. Like, if they're not, like, basically, and Matthew Kachuk maybe changed it all by saying, hey, I, you know, I'm not going to sign with you long-term. I'm, like, I'm wondering if the timeline just so moves up. So, once the again, the Flames have become the kind of the harbinger of things to yes, come, right? Because, because, actually, it was two of their own players. Because now... Matthew, like even Tavares, it was the same thing in New York, right? Yes. Like they thought, yes, it they was. thought they had him and they thought they had him and boom, he was yep. last second, he was gone. And he goes to the Island now and you know, someone who should be a legend who should be applauded. It's not like that. Like but Stamkos kind, didn't Stamkos kind of ruin that for everybody because he poked his head out into free agency and then he came home again. He did, but I, I would, it's a risk reward. If you're a general manager yes. now, oh. and even as a player now, would it, would have the Matthew Kachuk situation even been at the front of your mind before? Like the, the deadline was the deadline. Now I'm wondering if the deadline's just been moved up. I it's think a, it, it's like I the deadline's it's a, a, like six months, whatever. It's I think it's a great point, Vicky. I really do. And I, you know what I equate it to? I equate it to the second contract of Rick Nash because that changed the financial game and that led to the second lockout in 2012 because, and that was, you know, Doug McLean paying a star for being a star, not giving him a bridge deal. And people were pointing back to that. I think in the same way, people are going to point back in the next decade, we had to change business because of what happened to Calgary. Yeah. And so Elias Lindholm, do you want to stay or do you want to go? Austin Matthews, do you want to stay or do you want to go? Like, I think it like it's, the risk of having a player who's an asset because yep. of think about the money that's yep. involved yep. and sit there and just walk out the door. Right. Like, you know, businesses don't let Johnny Goudreau's walk out the door because you felt that you were negotiating in good faith and that it was going to work out. Okay. It's in, it's now you're presenting this in a really interesting format for me because Goudreau, I was kind of, to me, Goudreau was more of a, a mirror you know, a look back at yourself left an 
$15 million and a year on the table. Could not get that anywhere else. Said he didn't want it. And then Kachuk said, hey, I'm going to help you out. I'm not going to resign, so here's where I'll go. Um, they're almost two different stories. The bigger one to me is the Kachuk one. Because he, I think, has the capability of going down as the best player this organization ever drafted. Not necessarily so. the best player that it had, you know, we'll see. But be- definitely the best player this organization, he has the potential of that. I fully 100% agree. Right? And until Craig Button reminded me, I'm like, well, what happened this year versus last? He was injured last year. That's I wasn't in the business, so I wasn't thinking straight. But he had the hand injury, right? Yep. Against Edmonton, so you can't really go. Well, you know, we blew up in in Florida. He was hurt, right? And we we now see what a healthy Matthew Kachuk is at 25, 26 years old. Yeah, I've been reflecting on the Matthew stuff because I covered him like when he was very young. Yep. I was yep. in there and. Um, like to me, it was interesting when I was writing for CBC, I wrote quite a few stories on him and it was interesting. Even then, like mm-hmm. if you were writing nationally, if you wrote about the flames, so people might not like this. If you write about the flames or the Oilers, I was writing about both. Yep. The Oilers stories would always get way more hits. Sure. And some of it was Connor McDavid yep. and Leon Dreisaitl. And some of it was just the Oilers. Yep. Like some of it was just, but if you wrote about Matthew Kachuk, the, like they got comparable numbers, the rest of the flames. No. So I think he was always a, like had that celebrity, like that thing yeah. to him. Yeah. But I would write about him and I sometimes, if you go back, I bet you there were places where I called him the future captain Yeah. and did not put a conditional, like as a reporter, you always have to put your, yep. you know, like likely future captain. Yeah, or, or, you know, some exactly. Kind of like hedge a, you your know, bet a little like bit. Alleged. Yeah. You, yeah, know, yeah. you had your bets. And I don't think I did with Matthew. I was so sure he was just like, oh, to me, it was just like, he's the future captain of the flame. I, I was, and, and still am. And I, I don't profess to know the inner workings of that situation, but I, I look at all of the failings, if you will, of the Calgary flames or all the things that have, have hurt this team is that's the one that I would do the deepest dive on. Why? And it's so easy to say, well, he's American. He'll go, well, his brother's in Ottawa. His brother's the captain in Ottawa. You know, Craig Conroy's the general manager of this team. Last time I checked his passport, he was American. So I don't buy that. But I do buy that maybe this organization, it, did this organization do enough to keep him? Should they have given him the captaincy? Was that important to him? I thought it was. I think it was very important to him. And he wanted the long-term contract. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I've thought a lot about it too. I mean, it's a workplace. Yeah. And if if I can say that some of the workplaces I've been in, uh, you know, when I was a mm-hmm. senior reporter, if there was a 22 year old or something who came in and they wanted all the big stories and they were, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not didn't show quite the respect I thought I, I might not have been yep. thrilled. I might have rubbed me the wrong way. Absolutely. And and Matthew walked in at 18, very confident in who he was and what he could bring. Yeah. And the other thing is, Matthew grew up around NHL dressing rooms. So that romanticism and stuff like that to him, like, I mean, he was grateful, but that was just work. Yeah. No, no, no. He didn't see it any different, right? Yeah. And so to me, but uh, yeah, it's easy for me to say in hindsight and any of us to say in hindsight, and then especially with him doing what he's done. But I think he showed signs of it all along. And during the lockout, not the lockout season, the pandemic season, yeah. where they were playing the Canadian teams yeah. and like the whole thing with the flipping the puck and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Matthew was like making that must see TV every night. Yeah. Like he, and I can see how the players might be like, Oh, but he, you know, he, he's a star. He's an entertainer. He, he he is an entertainer. That's a great way of putting it. I think he's, you know, he's obviously a great hockey player, but the chewing of the mouth guard, 
Um, I remember year one, he tried the between the legs stuff and I'm, uh, and, you know, and part of me's going, thank God. And the other part's going, well, they're going to beat that out of him, you know, cause this league doesn't allow it. Thank God they didn't. He scored for that overtime goal against Nashville, maybe the greatest goal in the regular season that are, the flames ever scored. Right. Yep. And that was the fruition of him trying and nobody taking that away from him. And in the past, we've seen that taken away from him. And now I watch him and, uh, you know, he, he willed that team back against Boston. That's a good team. And he willed them back. He just got right inside of their heads, which, yep. which is shocking. Cause that's a team with Marshawn, right? It shouldn't happen to that team. Maybe an older Marshawn. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. But yeah, he but he willed them out of that. He did, that. and it was like it was his moment. It was like he knew it was his moment. Yeah, like he was channeling Mark Messier there. Yeah, like he he's a, he's a very smart. I I almost called him a kid, but he's not a smart. He's a smart man, and uh, yeah, I mean, as a for people who cheer for the Flames, I think it must be really hard. But for the league itself, it's a win. For I think for him being in Florida, I I, think the only the part that bothers me, Vicky, is that here we are a year later with him being in the MVP conversation and the, you know, the, the flames and the Oilers rivalry the last couple of years, you know, they've got, they've got dry and, and they've got McDavid right now. You have to, not that he's McDavid, not that he's dry but he's not that far behind either. Right. In terms of how he can impact the game. He might bring in some ways, respectfully, like, did, yeah. is he like Connor? No one's like Connor. McDavid. No, and no, actually no, no. no one's like dry side. No, 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 close. no. But in terms of affecting a game and getting in the opponent's heads and doing like, yeah. like getting those dirty goals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the pretty goals too. Like he, he can do both. He can but do. I mean, the, the game, the series winner against Carolina was as, as nice a goal as yeah. you're going to see, but he'll also just be standing on, at the front of the net is he, gonna, is he gonna have an impact post flames career is he gonna have an impact on how we view johnny goudreau because johnny goudreau is a really skilled hockey player maybe one of the most skilled hockey players i've ever seen but i'm not sitting here lamenting johnny goudreau the same way it's not like if they had johnny good and if they had johnny goudreau this year they probably were a playoff team because he would have gotten you those goals that you needed yeah, he would have. But yeah. but you look at Kachuk and go, man, you wish you had that. I just wonder if post-career or post-time in Calgary, if, if you know, Matthew Kachuk's not going to make people forget more about Johnny Goudreau. I, I mean, he's a franchise player. I mean, he's, we're talking about Heart Trophy, right? Like, he's yeah. like Con Smythe, maybe. Like is he's, Goudreau? He, no, sorry, Kachuk is. No, no, I know, but is Goudreau a... No, I don't think of it that way. And maybe I should, right? I did when he was here. Yeah, like, he's a, obviously, like, it's, the numbers he put up are the, incredible. But, like, the... Okay, there's a, it's game seven of a Stanley Cup playoff series. Yeah. Which player is going to have the most impact in that game? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I would personally, if you and I were drafting them, I would take Kachuk. Yeah. I would take Kachuk. And, and, I, and I defended Johnny because I heard that a lot. And, and some of the places that I heard that would surprise people from hockey people that, oh, you can't win with him. You can't win with him. And I would defend that because I, there were times where it was Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan, and not much else. Right. You know, Yuri Hoodler was nuts. Like, what was that? Like, I don't know, right? Uh, they kind of succeeded beside him or, or you know, despite him at times. And, you know, that series where they beat Vancouver and then they went up against the Anaheim Ducks. Whew. But Johnny Gaudreau scored, a, you know, an incredible goal there in a power play. You know, he, he did some stuff as best he could. But holy cow, you know, now what we're seeing... No, it's Matthew Kachuk. No, like Johnny, like it's not to take away no, from his value, but like, can you win with Johnny Goudreau? 
Yes. Will you win game seven totally because of Johnny Gutro? I would take Kachuk. Well, he did win you game seven, right? He did against Dallas. Yes, but I still would take Kachuk. Yeah. Today, if you get, I can choose one player. Yeah. Game seven. And and, hey, listen, you know, he ended up where he ended up. He ended up on a non-playoff team that, you know, He's still a great, he's an incredible player. Oh, sure he's he is. a Flames legend. He will be, but I just wonder if post Flames, if Kachuk isn't going to oh, kind of. so. Because what's, ha- what's he going to do next? Well. And I, if you took it, like, I was in Edmonton for a while when I was younger. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. yeah. look back, Kachuk brings more of the Messier stuff. Yeah, that's true. He that's does. True. And Johnny Goudreau's not Gretzky, but yeah. you're saying type of player? Yeah. Well, he's more rounded, yeah. right? He's more rounded. Um, so moving forward, they don't have those guys. I think they've got to make, you know, and he's already said he wants, you know, his priority is, is, uh, Lindholm. And I, I had this conversation with Boomer. Boomer said, you got to move on, but man, I, you, unless you have Lindholm, what do you got up the middle? Audrey. Yeah, Lindholm's a great player. Yeah. But, I, uh, but I, he's in that, he's in that sneaky age, right? Like, what are you paying him for? Yep. And then. Like, does he want to stay? That's true. Yeah, that's true. Like he, the, the, that was an incredible line. Yep. Lindholm, Goudreau, Kachuk. Yep. The other two are gone. What does he want to do? Yep. Like, I think that that's the, yep. The thing. And the great thing about Craig is I think that those conversations, like, I never felt that Craig was trying to BS anyone. No. But when people are genuine and honest and show me who they are, I probably will too. Mm-hmm. So, I think that that might mean that maybe some of the the game playing and the hiding one's hand might happen less with Craig. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Brad. That's just. No, that, it's just an that's MO. Just that's the that's way just, he does business. That's, right. That's Craig. Every conversation you're yeah. like, that's why is in his media conferences and everything. He's going to answer the question. Yeah. 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 But don't, again, I, I go back to my point. Don't sleep on him. Don't no. think he, don't think he's an easy mark. No, not at all. He's got, like you said, he was always a guy that would give an honest, you know, he wouldn't come and put lipstick on the pig. No. And the thing is, he's been around, how long has it been? 10 years that he's been apprenticing? Longer than that. Yeah. So he's been there. Like I've seen him, I've seen him after flames losses and he's wearing his suit and he's, you know, they're all looking so sour and they're marching on to the elevator and Craig, who has a hard time not smiling at any time when he sees you, because he's trying to be polite. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like all, yeah. All, uh, he, he's been around all of it and he knows every single person at the saddle, though. Mm-hmm. Not just like, not just on the flames. He knows all their security people. He knows mm-hmm. their concession. He knows everyone. And so I think Craig probably knows what he wants to do. Like, if, if it's going to be internal, because mm-hmm. he, he knows people and he'll choose the people that he thinks are best. And that's an educated opinion. Like, yeah. he, he's been there. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. And I thought from his news conference when he was announced, you could tell that he was having his thoughts all the way through what's unfolded with the Flames for the last year or so. But it- he's always been a GM in waiting. And I, I don't know if, like, I, I like Brad Pascal, and had they announced Brad Pascal as the GM, I would have endorsed him and I would have sat here and, and thought good things were going to happen. Um, but, and maybe it's just because I know Craig, but Craig's been a GM in waiting in a long time. Like he's always been a company guy. It's not about, but I bet you in those meetings, you know, when you got behind closed doors, he was not shy about sharing his opinion and he was not shy about how a team should be built. And, you know, he wasn't shy talking about the chemistry in the locker room this year. 
right? Yeah, you know? I mean, I remember when we were covering the Flames and it was uh, Brent Sutter, Daryl Sutter, and it was a tough place to be. It was it was a it was a pretty mm-hmm. negative work environment for mm-hmm. a while there, and you'd go into the dressing room and almost no one would say anything. Yep. But Craig Conroy would talk. Yep. Mike yep. Camilleri would talk. Yes, Cammy would too. Yeah, Cammy would too. Yeah, both of them would. There's a guy whose name we haven't talked about as a coach. What about Alex Tongay? I I think Alex Tongay, like, I don't know in terms of head coach, you know, like I would probably say Mitch Love, but I, like, I don't, mm-hmm. but Alex Tongay, like, I just keep thinking back to when it was Tongay, Ginla, Camilleri. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot. And you'd talk to, Alex was another one who was always available. Like, not always, but most days Alex mm-hmm. was there. And Alex is a great talker and very thoughtful mm-hmm. different than craig in that he wasn't smiling all the time no like, no, uh, no no he wasn't. a bit no. of a different presence to yeah. him but like it was always the strategy like jerome and i need to talk about this and like this didn't quite work on the power play and we need to go back and we like he was already coaching when yeah. he was playing yeah he was very and he and jerome he he trusted jerome jerome trusted him and i've kind of i was wondering one day of like if craig jerome and uh Alex may have had a text conversation going on because like they were close. Yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were close, but they were talking strategy and they were like, they were, they were into that. Some guys they're, they'd play. Yeah. That wasn't them. Like they were, they were in it. And Craig was sometimes talking as a general manager when he was playing. Oh, we sure, were talking yeah. about like what's happening with this issue or, you know, concussions in hockey or this or that, anything you could ask Craig and he would answer it. Yeah. Oh, I re- he gave some of the best answers on Dion Phaneuf that anybody did. Like, oh, completely. He right? he analyzed. He it. understood that kid better than most. Yeah, and he would laugh. I remember he would be like, "Yeah, you know, like people are hard on Dion, but like he's got to do this, and he's like he's there, and if he does this, then he's successful." Like he, yep. yeah, he was act- He was talking like his coach in some ways. Then, yeah, he would be. I can just see him standing in front of his. Uh, his locker there and he like he was in there and like he also was in there to help jerome that's another thing like being jerome mcginla was sometimes hard like he jerome had to answer to everything and that kind of thing and craig was a great teammate so was alex because they would go in and they would you know they'd get beat eight two and those two would also be there to to like the captain would come out with peter hanlon because he came out yeah but the other two would be there too but craig was the captain right and then yes right yes and, and i think that was yeah i'm getting my times mixed up no no but no 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 you're not wrong because he gave it up in 04 right, right? yeah and and he he wanted to put it on drome it was the time but then it's not like he sh- shrunk away we were talking about managers and leaders before it's not like he shrunk away no he was in there like completely like yeah. he was the he was the like he was the heartbeat in some ways. And he was the one who made sure that the guys, everyone was included. Yeah. I was thinking Doris, was it Doris, the yes. security person? Yep. And, yep. and the way that she would light up uh, when Craig would walk in, like, uh, like mm-hmm. this is the person who was like watching the flames bench and, you know, and most players would just walk by and not say a word. Some, you know, I'm not saying yeah. that somewhere, but, but Craig knew her yeah. like, like Craig knew the people he worked with. Yeah. No. And, and to your point earlier, he he did. He knew all the he knew all the names. He knew all the people. And funny though, you bring up Camilleri. That one's sticking in my craw a little bit. 
Why isn't he in this conversation? I, you know what? I was thinking on the drive over here. I was thinking the same thing. I don't know where Mike is. I like I don't know, but the I believe he, was, he owns BioSteel or something, yeah. right? Well, like, he was yeah, that, he was already his head was already he was a businessman when he was he was already. but he, he was, was the already. but of the three when you put that line together and you bring that line back up to me, he's the one that I thought would have been a coach, right? Jerome, I always thought was going to leave the sport because you know. He was Jerome. He didn't need to. Alex, you know, yeah, uh, GM, maybe. I always thought Mike was going to be a coach. See, I would have thought that Alex was going to be a coach and he was going to be a power play coach, exactly what he was doing at the World Championships. Sure. And he was going to X's and O's and move people around. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like he was into the science of it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Mike, though, he was into that stuff as well, but he was also like such a people person. So I can see Mike Camilleri being a head coach. I really can. If he's not. Yeah. I was going to say, if he's not a millionaire, of course he's a millionaire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he's probably on an island somewhere. You know, uh, it's that's a an interesting cadre of players, though, when you think about it, right? Like for that team and that organization. And you throw Kiprasov in there and you throw Regeer in there. And man, you're really thinking you wasted some years there. Yeah. You and in personalities, I mean? like if we just not just playing Adrian a coin. Oh, yeah. Who would sit there and read like. Yep. classic works of fiction and and when you'd go over he didn't want to talk about hockey he wanted to talk about what was going on in the world yep nope absolutely yeah, and, he, and the king of the wooden to, stick right yeah he the, sticks out in my mind for some reason yeah man they had yeah they did they had uh they had just some when you look back at the quality of players it, it, and i it, you can't do this but that core now, how would you build around it? How could you build around it because of the the salary cap world and the way we're in it now? Uh, you know, maybe the biggest issue there was the lack of the, the lack of good drafting. Right? Yeah. There was just no support. You no. know, no young guys coming. All due respect to Adam Party, and you know, Backlund was too late to that party, so to speak. There's a bad pun, but yeah. there were no young guys. There were no Pelches, and you know. Well, Backlund and, was so young, but he was almost expected to. That was un, it. Was almost un, was no, it's, a, it's a minor there. miracle they didn't ruin that kid. Well, I was thinking about that today too. About because uh, <laughs> I was thinking about how he. Could, Why do you keep asking me what we're going to talk about? I keep telling you I don't know yet. And then, he <laughs> could have. He could have ended up a Sven Barchi, yeah. Michael Backlund. Yeah, they were all over that's, him. That's a good example. They were all over him. Yeah, and uh, you know he was too soft, and he, you know, if he made a mistake, it was his fault, and uh, and but he. Like there's a whole bunch of people had him traded out of here. Yeah. And look what he's done for that franchise. And like, and watching him this past year, like my goodness. I mean, he, you know how they talk about playing the game, right? Yeah. He plays the game, right? Yeah. He should have been the captain. Yes. Yes, for sure. I, I that's, you know, another one. And I'm not taking a run at Daryl. I think Daryl's going to be in the hall of fame. Of course he is. All yes. That absolutely. Sort of thing. But that, that was ridiculous. Not having a captain. And the logic behind it just doesn't hold water anymore. You know, it, it, to me, watching it from the outside seemed like if you looked at the decisions on their own, they didn't make sense. It felt like almost like an inner office drama was playing out on the ice in front of mm -hmm. a sellout crowd at mm -hmm. the Saddle Dome. And the decisions weren't being made. You know, I people probably worked in workplaces where this side doesn't like this side sure. and this and there's this faction and this faction. Like a lot of the decisions seem to be based on some inner thing that 
maybe we heard a little bit about, or maybe we guessed about, but we didn't really know what was going on because the decisions didn't seem to be made on the merit of the decisions. Right. Like Michael Backlund should have been the captain. Yeah. Yeah. Is the last decision real consequential decision that Daryl Sutter will make as an NHL coach, putting Nick Ritchie in the shootout? Yeah. But why did he do that? Um, I, I'm feeding into your narrative. I think it was a big, bold middle finger to certain people, and I don't know who. Yeah, and see, I don't yeah, cause, because, and then, but, because but he on had its that. own, on its own. Yes. If you ask Nick Ritchie or if you asked anyone else, does this make sense? Yeah. No. Right. But people don't do things for no reason. No. But there is a stat that backed it up. His lone shootout goal came against the Nashville Predators and came against that goalie. So we're playing the odds. Right. We know he's had success. So to me, it's again muddled. It's not crystal clear. It, it's crystal clear in my mind. It's a big middle finger to somebody somewhere. Right. Is it the guy you gave me? Yeah. Or, you know, this is my guy and I'm going to show you. Go win it for me, Nick. And he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> you way, know, right. Way, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess if he scored, we'd all be talking about how he knew something that no one else did. Right. Because right, if I was the coach, I'm playing Matt Phillips and then Matt Phillips goes out and, and misses and everybody's going to go, why'd you play the rookie? Right. Yeah. Why'd you play the rookie? Well, that's shootouts are kind of made to make coaches look. Yes. Like that. Absolutely. They are. Absolutely. They are. Um, so do you have an, do you have a betting favorite for coach? Uh, I think it's Mitch love, but, for, but like that's you know, like, it could be, you know, it could be Ryan Huska. It could be Kirk Muller. It could be Alex Tongay. It could be Gerard Gallant. I'm not sure, but I like uh, to me. If they don't hire Mitch Love, someone else is going. Yes, to. like abs, that's abs, like he's like absolutely. I think I think he's a head coach in the NHL. But this I season coming but, up, I think, but I think but I think Ryan Huska is that too. Yeah, that could. Yeah, and that's why I'm sticking with Huska. Um, but if if he doesn't get the gig, see, and Peter brought it up. You know, is this too much like Jim Playfair? Right, Playfair takes over for Daryl. And then he's replaced by Keenan the next year. Uh, it, you know, and Pete's point was, you know, when Daryl broke you down, Jimmy built you back up. And then Jimmy has to be the bad guy. Oh, um, uh, yeah. And that didn't go over well. And that well. didn't go over well. I think, I think, I think there was more to it than that. I think Daryl had a lot of pressure on Jimmy to act and be a certain way and not be himself. Um, but I, I absolutely agree. I, and the guy's name doesn't come up in all of this is Kale McClain. Yeah. But I think the thing is, is that like you and I can talk about it. And I know that you've had a closer view in the last years than I have. Yeah. But who's had a closer view than Craig? Nobody. No he's been one. In, he's been in Stockton. He was in Adirondack. He was in Abbotsford. He's seen all of the different incarnations. He was in Kelowna watching Huska as a junior coach before they was in Saskatoon watching Mitch Love as a junior coach. Right. He's probably had dinner with all of them. Oh. Like he like he knows their families. Wow. Well, like he redid the gr uh, grouse grind with uh, Gullitson when they hired him. Right. They ran up the mountain together. I remember that. Yeah, when they hired Glenn Gullitson, that was the the story. They sent Connie out to Vancouver and they ran the mountain. So that's how he interviewed him. Right? That's a Conroy story. It is a well, no, that's that's exactly it, right? Um, you know, I don't know. Is Kirk Muller? You know, we go down this laundry list of internal candidates. I don't hear his name that much. Um, I just wonder if Kirk's kind of in the eyes of the hockey world, not me, but the hockey world, if he's now, you know, he's now an associate coach. That's yeah, and he's you know he's the veteran guy in Carolina, right? Like. Yeah. Um, 
so if you're following the Nick Kiprio school, school then and it's not just Nick, it's like no, no, but it's the old, school. the old yeah, school. Then, yeah, you know, he's he's the guy, and Craig's a new G- GM. Yeah. But I think the thing is, is that Craig will and he should uh, makes the decision that he knows, like he he knows all of them. Mm-hmm. He knows that what he wants to build, mm-hmm. and so I think that it really comes down to that, like. Is Ryan Huska qualified? Yes. Is mm-hmm. Mitch Love qualified? Yes. Kirk Muller qualified? Yes. And I feel Will like Alex Tongay be a head coach one day. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's going to be from what Craig has seen. And he's a good judge of character. I think he's, he had Dion uh, figured out. He did. No, I, Hey, look, you know, he, he's been around a lot of things that have worked. He's the guy that brought Johnny Gaudreau back from Boston college. You know, he's, you know, I remember running in when I was still over at CSAC. I remember running into him one day and who's this like last year, who's this Walker doer? Oh, and he went on and on and on. And I made the mistake of saying, well, will he play? And Craig, well, why'd you think we signed him? Right? Like he got offended. He just should have, he should have. It was a dumb thing for me to say. You think he'll ever play? Yeah, no, we signed these kids because we don't think they're going to play. Again, he's, he's done all of those pieces. Carla McLeod though. I feel like I've let her down a bit because I brought her name up early in this conversation. I think it's about time that organizations start talking to her. She's Oh my goodness. Yes. Right. She's, uh, she's an incredible coach. What she did with the Czech Republic is just two years. Czechia. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, like, and in terms of like how she coaches and how like, Oh my goodness. Yes. And, and she's done it openly. Like it's been out there for the whole world to see the cameras have been allowed in. She shared it. She's talked about it. And I, and yes, I get it. You can't come in and be a head coach because old man thinking, but talk to her, like give her a con. This is a, now I heard her speak at a conference and she said she wants to coach in the women's game. She's not that interested in co- coming over to the men's game. And we're going to get into that in a second, uh, kind of changing that gen, you know, cause and we still have that gender issue. Well, you got to, you know, to be at the top, you got to be in the men's game, not in the women's game. And I think she was pushing back against that, but I'd be interviewing her. Yeah, I think that absolutely. I think the other thing is, is that she, you could bring her in as an assistant coach and she'd be amazing tomorrow. Right. Well, if you bring in Dustin, or if you bring in Dustin, well, if you bring in Mitch Love, who's going to coach. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's the, like, the, at some point we got to get the, the, the guardrails or the blinders off and, and start putting people in positions to be successful and giving them the opportunities. Well, Dr. Wickenizer, for example. Yeah. Like Haley Wickenizer, like of all the athletes I've covered, but pick a lane. Are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be in hockey? Which is it? Well, <laughs> the fact that she's, she's an emergency, isn't she an ER doctor? She is, but she like, if you're an ER doctor, you can work, one shift a month you can do whatever she's in hockey because she wants to be in hockey yeah all i'm saying is whatever Haley wants to do maybe Haley doesn't want to do that but if Haley did want to do it she to me is the i don't it's hard to describe someone's intelligence but like she to me was the most the brightest sharpest person i ever interviewed of any gender of anything like she went against the ioc like she was she was She's amazing. So if she wants to be a GM, I think she should be. I'm about to say something that I hope does not come off the wrong way. So protect me on this. Yes, I will. Is is that she was a superstar and so much better. It reminds me a little bit of, don't you have to take with a grain of salt like Gretzky or Jordan 
because they are so much better than their peer group that is it, you know, Gretzky, when he was coaching in, in, in Arizona, was that a challenge for him? Cause go do this. I can do this. Why can't you do this? I think she'd be, I, I, I and again, it's, it's a terrible thing to say. I just wonder why, why not Haley Wickenheiser so far. Right. Well, Haley has been at medical school and you're right. Yeah. Like, like where is, where is Haley? Like, uh, you know, Haley could do anything. Like Haley could be in charge of the Canadian Olympic committee. But or could, she, could she put the, a good fourth line together? She could put the, yeah, she could. Uh, I think she could. Okay. I don't know if I make Haley. I actually, though, I don't know if I make Haley a head coach. If you, cause you were talking about like delivery and stuff like that. Haley will tell you exactly the way it is. Like, like Haley is very, and maybe very that's direct. a better way of what I just fumbled like through Haley for the last is, two minutes. Haley is very, very direct. I think Carla, Carla and Haley are not the same coach. No, not at okay. all. Okay. No, not at all. But okay. Haley, if you're talking about building a hockey team, yeah, and like who do we need? Yes. Who do we need to draft? And what do we need to do? Like yes. Haley, I, I, I think Haley would be up there with anyone. Do I want Haley behind my bench? Not sure, and I'm not sure she'd want to. Um, do I want her treating me if I end up in the hospital? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I so badly butchered that because you no. said exactly what I, I was thinking was not sure as the coach, but I don't think Gretz, I don't think Gretzky, when I covered Gretzky in Phoenix, I don't think. He no, was it, that's, that was the he's point I was trying coached. to make. It just felt awkward. It felt like he was doing it because he had to do it. Not because he wanted to do no, it. No, he's, uh, he was joyless. When yes. I was he was joyless yes. when I was. Whereas I watch. And I, when I interact with Carla, Carla McLeod comes to superheroes. I keep forgetting. I got you here, right here. You can back me up on this. She comes to superheroes. She's yeah. led Chechia to back-to-back medals they've never had before. Arguably the best coach in hockey right now. She comes out on Sunday at superheroes. Yeah. And, and can relate to those kids. Absolutely. And can relate to the best players in the world. Yeah. Not everybody, parents not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do that. Right. Not everybody can do that. So my son's first hockey when he played in and he, he, he goes in and he's playing hockey and he's terrified and he's stressed out and I'm trying to put on his skates. And to be honest, I don't have a ton of strength in my hands. Right. So I'm trying to tighten them up and I'm fighting with them. And Carla comes over and says, I'll help you today. (laughs) But from now on, this is your job. And I know it's something simple as like, tying up somebody's skates, but it was like, I'll show you the the easiest way to do it. If you don't have strength in your hands, Yeah. but next week it's yours. And, and that's just like one small thing, but, but if you read it, it, that actually ties in with everything that she did with Jackie. Like she, she is a coach. Right. Right. No. And, and again, I hope she's getting at least talked to, it was funny to me about this whole thing. and, And I don't know if I bought into it as much as some of the, our peers did, but well, they got to they got to interview all kinds of general managers and then ask them how they're doing it. They're like, well, what do you like? I I understand that you can interview somebody from Carolina and you can ask them about what they do, but I don't. I'm not sure I bought into this whole premise that you know a general manager search is more of a best practices exercise. We'll go out and gather best practices, you know, and I, if that's the case, then you, if, if that's true, then you bring Carla McLeod in and talk to her. Cause you're not going to, if that's true, that's what you're doing. Then you're going to get the best practices from her. Right. In coaching right now. Yeah. It's worked. It's worked. It's worked. And I disagree with like, sometimes people are like, Oh, the women's game is so different than the men's game. It's people. It's people. It's people. It's and people. You have the different personalities and the different. Sure. But it's people. 
No, and and you know what, Billy Jaffe was on this program a, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this, and he, you know, former Michigan guy, and he's been around the game. And he said it best: it's talking to people, not talking down to people. That's the biggest adjustment we have to make. Is that coaching used to be talking down to people? It's what you said before about the employees, employers we had, and the kids today. They can't be talked down to them. You have to talk at them, right? And with them. With them. Yeah, like right, when, sorry, I'm, talk with when them. I'm teaching, that's the same thing. It's not the same. I'm going to do this lecture and you're going to hang on my every word for two hours. And then I'm going to test you and see if you know what I mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. It's more, I'm going to help you learn how to do this. And we're going to do this together so that when you're done, yep. you can go out and do it. And I already value your opinion. Mm. I already value what you have to say. Your life experience is different than mine. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's the way it's changed. Um, not as a throwaway because we did want to talk about this, but there was a story, um, that you were on with CBC yesterday talking about it's I think and it's in its fourth or fifth year second year yeah second, second year yeah yep. I thought it was fourth or fifth year second okay anyway the CFL's program for uh, exposing female candidates in coaching and general man and management right yeah and in just the, in in football roles so what they're doing is okay. each team uh, hires a woman to work during training camp. And, you know, they've been strength and conditioning coaches. They've mm -hmm. been, some of them are coaching. Calgary has a, a woman from Okotoks right now who's helping with the linebackers. And it's a way to get women exposed to football because here I'm saying that Craig should hire who he knows and, and who he knows is the right person to do that. Well, it's hard to get in that door of like, you can't even show anyone what you have. Yeah. And so that's what this program is designed to do is to give women a chance to be exposed and be around the game, but also hopefully lead to career opportunities down the road. So um, let me ask you, is it enough or are we misreading the story that it's a start? It's, it's a start. It's got to start somewhere, it's right? A, it's got to start somewhere. So to me, when I met you, Rob, back mm -hmm. in 2001, like Joanne Ireland also covered football in Edmonton and Lisa Miller, but outside of the media world, there are almost no women around the game, except for if they were in office jobs. Yep. So there might be in the, like the yep. ticket office or in administration, that kind of thing. But otherwise there were zero women around. Yep. And, uh, you know, I would go to McGill and the Alouettes games, nowhere to go to the bathroom. No, like it was completely mm -hmm. zero. Yep. So am I ha like, I think it's great that we're getting, should we do more? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, and this brings me to one of my points that I, and I, I, do pride myself at being an ally, but I think sometimes this gets misconstrued. Uh, should I be more excited about a program like this in the CFL, or should be I be more excited about a program like this in high school and bantam football? It seems to me that if we truly want to make change on DEI, that we need to do it at the base of the pyramid, not at the top of the pyramid. And that box checking can sometimes take place at the top of the pyramid that we could put, we can put people in positions and say, look at us rather than should we not be building the base of the pyramid and pushing them up through the system. And I would say that in some places, like for example, in Winnipeg, that's already happening. Like, women, is it? Yes. Like women, like my niece is a star running back tackle football, 15 years old in Winnipeg. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. It's, and you know, you have officials who are doing like, absolutely. Should you go in just because of your gender? Absolutely not. Yeah. And you're taking, it's like, it's wasting everybody's time. Right. But if there's people who have that ability 
and they know the game mm-hmm. and they, you know, why not? And, and please understand, I'm not, my, I'm not pointing at anybody involved in the CFL story. I'm no, just, I'm just I saying agree. That- like we have to, we have to build it up all the way through. And I think it's beginning to happen, but traditionally, uh, you know, it's not a sport that was marketed to women to play no. and young girls to, to play. No. Yeah, also interesting. I went to Monday night football. I covered, I think 2004, 2005 in Miami. So it was quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, dolphins versus Eagles. Okay. One woman in the press box, me. Okay. Hundreds of men. Yeah. So even there in football, it was even hard as a woman to get, because football was the best thing. Yep. And so there was a ceiling there that. Yeah. If you go into an NHL press box, you would never just see one woman out of hundreds in a Stanley Cup final. Not today, you mean? Even back then, you would not have seen because in the American markets where hockey was number five on the depth ah, right. chart, okay. then that oh, was Oh, by the where, way, you get to cover this. By the way, yeah. we don't really care about hockey, so you can cover I gotcha, it. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So what do we what do we need? What's the next level of this? I think they need to keep building this. I think you're right. I think they need to do it at the grassroots level. I think they need to get more involved. Like, why can't women be officials? Of course they can. Yes. Right? Why can't like, they be coaches? Yes. So right. uh, I think it's encouraging and opening those those doors and making the opportunities real. Yeah. Like instead of just a box ticking exercise. And I mean, I would rather the league hire five people or four people for the whole year than nine for one month during training camp. Yep. Because I've seen guest coaches during training camp who do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's what's happening here. But <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. But, I, but they, I know like, what you're it, saying. Like it's... But actually having people who are actually in there for a full season, I I would rather see that. Yeah. And qualified people, but I I'd love to see that. Yeah, and 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 I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think we we're fortunate because we live in in a city with lots of really good female leaders. Yep. And accomplished female leaders. And and I say our our teams have lots of, you know, Melissa Blades just ran the 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 roughnecks to, you know within a game of the NLL final. And uh, yeah, that was incredible. Can, can, Candace Gowdy, you know, to me, Candace Gowdy's ready to take over any job in sports right now. Um, you know, I'm particularly fond of Amy Bontorn with the Hitman who I worked with for a m- number of years. Like I take a lot of pride in that. I think there's going to be some game breakers and game changers that come out of this city. I really do. Yeah, for sure. But football still seems to be a bit of a football has been because there the isn't last one. And, to go. And all due respect to the rage. God bless them. I get that. But there isn't that, you know, college and, you know, that same equality there. We're only now starting to get a bit of it in hockey, right? You know? Yeah. And my niece, who's like, honestly, yeah. she's a tank. She's she's incredible. You should see her film. But she has to switch. To you rock. should see her film. I love that. You should see it. How often do you, you should see my niece's film? She sends it to me. It's crazy. Oh, it's that's like awesome. Joffrey Reynolds, right? But my, yeah. point, my point is, is that <laughs> she has to switch to rugby if she wants to get a college scholarship. Right. She doesn't have a choice. Right. That's what she has to do. Right. That's that's the issue yet. We still got to overcome that. Yeah. So she has nowhere to go. Right. Don't tell her I said that. Um, I'm not sure I've ever introduced you. We just went a million miles from the get go. This was fantastic. Um, what anything we need to plug anything you're up to anything you want to let us know about. Um, that's usually what a guest does on this show. They come in and plug something in lieu of, you know, an hour of yelling at me. Parachutes for pets. Parachutes for pets. Cool. Yeah. Parachutes for pets. Uh, That's the. AJ's now, you and AJ are now ambassadors. Yeah. That's uh, caused its uh, 
means a lot to us. So, and, and what those people are doing, we lost our, our dog 16 years old in March and that was hard for us, very yeah. hard. And he, he means meant the world to us and means the world to us. So we're, we've been doing that. And I understand that there might be a superheroes tournament in town. I, I understand. I might be speaking to part of the uh, organizing committee, which I think is really cool. Yeah, so I, th I think that's going to be uh, great for people to come out and see. Uh, you know, Superheroes is a program for people with uh, neurodevelopmental disabilities or challenges that might prevent them from playing hockey. My son plays hockey because of that program and would not play hockey otherwise. And so the idea is to play against other teams and see the miracles that happen every Sunday that we get to see. And maybe we even start to take for granted mm -hmm. because they're right in front of our eyes. Uh, well, I yeah. said I said it on Monday. One of the cool parts is that we're now getting to the point where you know you mentioned parachutes for pets, but I, we took Noah and Harrison to the Flames Golf Tournament last week, and and they raised seventeen hundred dollars for CP Kids. So our hockey program's doing what all the hockey programs are doing, which is giving back to the community, which the kids are getting out and being part of their community. Like it, there's nothing that these kids can't do. There's nothing, and it's like it's okay to be different. Absolutely. We're all different and we Absolutely. all have different things, but we can all like there, there should, I guess maybe this is the theme is there shouldn't be parts of society that are closed off to us. Nope. So if, if you have a child with autism and that child wants to play, uh, play hockey, let's open the door and let them play hockey. Absolutely. If they, if you have a teenage girl and she wants to play football, maybe you might be worried about concussions, but we got go. film. <laughs> we got film. Crazy. I love that. Um, by the way, AJ also an accomplished baseball player. And yeah, he's lacrosse a, player. Yeah, hats up to the Autism Asperger's Friendship Society and their lacrosse program and uh, Challenger Baseball. Like there, there are so many things. It's the I best. thought I thought when my son was diagnosed with autism, honestly, it felt like every door had just been slammed in our face. When really all it was was a whole bunch more doors were going to open. I just didn't see them. That's the best. That is the best. We will end on that because I there's nothing I can say is better than that. Thanks, Vicky. This was fun. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Vicki Hall brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Currently, the location open for the summer is McLeod Trail by Chinook Centre. But don't worry, the other three locations will come back in the fall. Coming up on Friday's show, uh, we have a long time. This is kind of cool. We, we, you know, we get media people in. We talk to media people about these. But we're bringing in a longtime season ticket holder and a guy that doesn't mind sharing his opinion. So Anthony Cox is going to come in representing fans on Friday about the Calgary Flames. Looking forward to that as well. Eric Dahachuk will join us in his regular Friday show. Thanks, gang. Peter Marr, Vicky Hall doesn't get any better than this. As a matter of fact, we might just end it here. This is the show that we're going to put on our heads, our headstone. Uh, yeah, on our headstone. This is the one we want everybody to watch. Uh, we will see you Friday. Oh, before we go, Gavin, our outstanding producer, this is his last show, and he's going to pass the baton to Jack. Ecstatic to have Jack, but really, really, really want to go and thank Gavin for being an, uh, just a huge, huge help for the last couple of months, stepping into the breach when we needed it. He's just an amazing guy, and I, I wish the best for him, and hopefully we'll hook up in the, in the future. So with that said, see you on Friday, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.